This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of Howard Hawks. And it's not an April Fool's joke, but it is Thursday, April 1st, 2021. Adam Hall, happy April Fool's Day. Oh, you sounded like you were going to say happy birthday for a second. I was very, very thrown off. You are really the April Fool of my life. Um, so it is kind of Adam Hall Day. <laughs> That was not a good joke. <laughs> I just, I just like to stop you for for one quick second, Nico. You tried, and it didn't work. You're you're my fool every month of the year. Was that a little better? Yes. I don't pre-write these. You know what, it's all ad lib. You know what, Nico? Yes, all <laughs> off the top of the dome, right there, baby. Good job, Alex Trebek couldn't have done it better himself. That's a good point. <laughs> we were just watching Jeopardy clips. Uh, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I, I, I feel like it's been a little while. I feel like I've watched too many movies. Uh-huh. I'm exhausted. Um, now we're here just talking about old movies, mostly in black and white. God, I hate <laughs> old black and white movies. I can't enjoy them because they're old and they're in black and white. <laughs> and they're dated. And they're and just so the d- politics are bad. They're, they're misogynistic. Oh. You know? It's just the worst, <laughs> man. Why are Don't we- appreciate how Italian Americans are depicted. <laughs> Why are we even talking about trigger this? warning? <laughs> oh boy. Trigger warning. <laughs> well, we coming. We have a, a, a semi Italian American with us, so I guess we'll be okay. <laughs> That's true. I'm allowed to talk about it. <laughs> You're uh, allowed, you have the card. <laughs> yeah, I, I have the guinea card. Um, <laughs> uh, we're talking movies. Uh, it, we did take a week off. I, I just had a lot going on in my life last week, and you were like, "Let's just relax." Yeah. Take a week off. It's not the end of the world. The listeners will understand. I had to tamper that. You were like, we, we can maybe do it. We can make And I'm like, no, Nico, I, it's I, okay. <laughs> it was the night before we were scheduled to yeah. record and I was running on about like four hours of sleep, maybe in like a 48 hour yeah. period. It was like really bad. And I'm just sitting there. My, I'm like, I'm holding my eyes open clockwork orange style, just yeah. digesting Rio Bravo. Really? Oh. Yeah. And I'm like, I cannot do this. Like. But I wanted to, you know, yeah. I, I, I wanted to fight to the end, but I just couldn't. No, it's un- understandable. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Well, it's good. okay. I don't think, I don't think the listeners are mad at us. I don't think. Uh, I haven't asked them, but. I haven't. Um, although they've, they've gotten quite chippy with me lately, those listeners, but we love you. We've had some interesting listeners lately. We have. Let's not talk about them. But it's, a, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> It sometimes just fascinating peeling back the curtain and seeing who's <laughs> listening to this thing. Um, we're going to talk Howard Hawks today. Old Hollywood director Howard Hawks and his six best movies. Mm-hmm. Scarface, Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday, The Big Sleep, Red River and Rio Bravo. Mm-hmm. One of them earning their way into the Movie Hall of Fame. We'll find out which one at the end of the podcast. How many movies have you seen besides these since last we talked? Because I feel like I've seen a couple. I have also seen a couple. Do you want to talk about the one that we both watched that we were both quite enthusiastic about that is up for a couple Oscars? Oh, Minari? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we can talk Minari. Let's talk Minari. A delightful, beautiful little human film. You watched it. I watched it. It is one of my favorite movies of last year. It is up for a number of Oscars, and it was kind of a surprise. Up for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor. Stephen Young picked up a Best Actor nomination. Which is probably deserved, in my opinion. Um, And the woman that played the grandmother, whose name I'm blanking on, also got a nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Who's the real star of the movie. She fucking kills it. She's awesome, dude. (laughs) It's just the best grandmother movie ever. I love some granny movies. Mm -hmm. This, well, not that kind of granny movie, but you know what I mean? Movies with grandmothers in it. Oh, boy. (laughs) This is... (laughs) 
for the for the record. And talking about movies about the American dream or the American spirit, this is definitely more my speed than something like Nomadland. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was pretty keen on this from the get go. Yeah, Ya Zhong Yoon plays the grandmother in this okay. and is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She's wonderful. Yes, yeah, she is. Good for her. Mm. Uh yeah. It's uh it's a very American movie. Um, much like Nomadland, but you're right. I, I think more your speed than my speed. Although I, I certainly did love this one. I was sobbing uncontrollably during this oh, thing. Oh, I, I know. He's sobbing. Been, he's been crying nonstop at every movie. A- every movie I watch now just sets me off. Even Kong Skull Island. You should have seen him, guys. He just couldn't stop crying. Puddles. <laughs> I was in puddles. <laughs> when that monkey cut his hand. <laughs> oh, God. And he put it up against the mountain and it was like, <laughs> the king can bleed? <laughs> Just the tender relationship between a woman and her monkey. <laughs> it's kind of like that moment in the, the 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 press tour for Transformers where Spielberg was like, it's just a movie about a boy in his car. <laughs> really? At the end of the day. It's just about a boy in his car. It's about family. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love Minari. Um, really like caught me off guard. Uh, the scene where the grandmother is like consoling the child because he thinks he's going to die in his sleep and they start singing the song Minari that they invented for Mm. themselves is, I mean, just like, whoa, that's cinema, man. Yeah, it was very sweet. My favorite scene is the one where the kid makes her drink his pee. Yeah, that's good stuff that was too. A nice, good stuff too. This movie has everything. Yeah. You know, really. It, yeah, I, I, I don't know where it ranks on my list. It's definitely up there, though. I'm, I'm still a bigger Sound of Metal fan, but what do you want? It's mm. me. Mm. It's me. You're talking. That is to. such an Adam movie. Sound yeah. of Metal. That's a great movie, though. It's a very good movie. It's, yeah. So. It's so Adam, though. Yeah, like it's it, a better Adam movie than it is a movie movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. And we're gonna talk about movies today that I feel like just like almost aren't even movies. Yeah. But still entertaining, nonetheless. So that'll be interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, that's a very vague comment. I don't know where you're going today with, with the Howard Hawks pod. There's, huh. there's at least one movie. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't a movie, but you know, it's fine. It was entertaining. Interesting. So yeah. And then, um, I saw, I mean, we, I don't know. We talked off pod. I saw, um, in and of itself and, uh, let them all talk. Uh, I think we talked about let them all talk already. Did we not yeah. on the, not on the pod? Yeah, we did. You talked about it. No, you've mentioned it. No, I think yeah, just, you did. You're like, this is a grandmother movie and like, it's very boring. Yeah. I said that over text. I thought you said it over the podcast, but no. whatever, which it is. It is a grandmother. No movie. need to rehash this. And it's it is, a great movie. And it is very boring. I fucking yeah. love that movie. I've like really grown to like really love it. Well, it's better than Malcolm and Marie. I'll Candace Virgin though. <laughs> it's <laughs> the queen can cook. Who is that? Candace Virgin. Uh, one of her, but it's the one that's not Diane Weist. Oh, Okay. And then one over my head. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? I will leap across this table right now. Candace Bergen should be like the front runner for best supporting actress this year. Really? She's hilarious in it. Really? Really? <laughs> I don't know. I found her entirely forgettable, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Lucas Hedges, dude. Didn't like him in that. What? Didn't like Lucas Hedges. That was another big problem I had with it. Like Lucas Hedges. I normally love Lucas Hedges, but I don't know what the hell he was doing in that. It being you. Like that, that character is you. He's being pretty terrible. So I may, yeah. well thank you, Nico. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, I, I He's playing you. That's you. Yeah, I just thought he was pretty bad in the movie. 
Yeah. Let Them All Talk is wonderful. It's actually one of Soderbergh's best movies. It's of one of his like, best decade, movies. Of last decade. <laughs> Definitely. I would say so. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? Dude, I, dude, I could hang out on High that boat. High Flying Bird. You, I, you pre- what about that? You love could, that movie, too. Come on. Love it. I could hang out on that boat for like for 10 hours I was with r- these characters and just shoot the shit. It's a little happier to jump off and drown and get eaten by sharks, whatever you want. That would have been more enjoyable. <laughs> I would have felt something. <laughs> We're going to be doing an Oscar preview podcast in a couple weeks mm-hmm. where we uh, invent our own Oscar nominees and winners and uh, let them all talk. We'll be well represented. Oh, it will not be represented at all. We'll just tell you that. Yeah. I, enjoy, I, I enjoyed one night in Miami for what it was. It was. Oh, you saw that one, too. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, that movie's like totally fine. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a good, you know, let's watch it at school movies and yes i hate i hate labeling movies that way and i feel like i say it a lot but it is just the epitome of that <laughs> yeah wheel out the like old school tube television on that like weird tv cart yeah and put the thing in the vhs player and just let the kids doze off for yeah. 90 minutes it, it works it's entertaining i i like all the performances and it's got some interesting insights i guess uh at least with the conflict with uh, Malcolm X. One of the things I love about the movie is that Malcolm X is like the guy you just don't want to invite to the party. You know, like, go figure. It's like, oh God, fucking Malcolm's here. Shit. All right. Here we go. Yeah. I think probably the least fun at a party of those four. <laughs> but I mean, three of those four are like legendary party guests. Party. Yeah, you know what I, was I mean? Say, like, they're I, all legends, but yeah. But also, like, you would definitely want to hang out with with Jim Brown and, and <laughs> yes. Muhammad Ali yes, for ninety yeah. minutes. Exactly. I just love. It. Well, like, I guess we gotta invite Malcolm, don't we? I guess right. we gotta. I mean, one of my issues with that movie, I think, more broadly, is that it it sort of just puts like explicit political ideologies into the mouths of these people, and it sort of detracts from their ability to be real characters, because I find all four of these people like intensely fascinating, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and they are American icons for very different reasons. I like, I think I have more interest in learning about them than I do their point of view on race in America. Yeah. I guess that's not the point of the movie is to learn much about them. It's more specifically more, you know, accurately about what you just said, just the idea, varying ideologies of America. It reminded me of like, the breakfast club for race relations in America. Sure. That's what it is, which I'm cool with. You know, if I, if you get in expecting a biography of each one of these characters, you're going to be very disappointed, but that's, it doesn't choose to be that. Right. It's an imagined conversation between these four people. Like if you're going to do that though, then don't make the characters American icons. Like why did it, why does it have (laughs) to be Malcolm X? Why can't it just be like a black person with a white collar job, black person with a blue collar job? (sighs) Cause it's timely. Yeah, I know. I yeah, I I get it. But it's like, yeah, I <sighs> Muhammad Ali wouldn't talk like that. Do you know what I mean? Like Muhammad Ali would not be like that kind and like in person. Yeah, playful and like, you know what I mean? He's Muhammad Ali when he needs to be Muhammad Ali is the thing. You know, it's not like it's I mean, he talks like him when he's in front of the cameras for sure. Yeah. Is that all we have though? I mean, I don't know. I might want to give him a little more credit than that. You know, there's a chance that the guy could have been a little more <laughs> sentimental sounds weird to say he's he's an asshole all four of these characters are very sentimental yeah. Yeah, I know. and it's like that's not what makes them interesting yeah well they can be sentimental though they're human beings yeah it, it, in, that was kind of a trite hollywood 
way though I, of yeah, portraying I, them. I, I thought I don't fully. I don't disagree. hate the movie. I like no, the no, movie. No. I think it's a good script, and yeah. I think like Regina King does a good enough job. And actually, the the guy Leslie Adam Jr. that plays Sam Cooke is is wonderful. Awesome. Yeah, he's awesome really good. in the movie. Yeah, yeah, bouncing back from Hamilton. Way to go! Right, best character in Hamilton. So, Oscar nomination for him, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. No, it's good. It's fine. Leslie Odom Jr., baby. Yeah. What else have you seen? Uh, I saw, well, like I said, in and of itself, we've talked about that. That was a fascinating little movie. Yeah. Which I said was incredibly pretentious, but it's very <laughs> enjoyable regardless. <laughs> the Rulatista. I am the Rulatista. <laughs> we know you're the Rulatista, bro. I get it. The cameos at the end make it all Are worth it, though. Fucking nuts. Make it all like next level. <laughs> like you think the player had too many cameos? Like when Tim Cook and Bill Gates both show up at the end mm. of this thing, it's like what's happening? <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, it made me question what kind of movie I was watching at that point. But you know, fine. Mm. David Blaine is there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Larry Wilmore is there. Susan Sarandon is there. Tim Gunn is sobbing uncontrollably. Good for them. Good. For, I don't know. It's like, I didn't even know who this guy was. I'm like, Derek Delgadio. Delgadio. Like, who are you? Why do you have these people coming to your show? Yeah. He was like, uh, I, I think he, he, uh, cut his teeth doing, um, like special effects stuff. Like he, or, you know, he was sort of like a magician's assistant, um, uh. and was like behind the scenes, like in a lot of these television specials. I'm not sure if he worked with Chris Angel or David Blaine or whatever, uh, finally got his own stage show, raised the funding, I think, through like public endowments and whatever. Um, and it was like a big show off Broadway for like three years. Mm-hmm. So I think just word of mouth sort cool. of built around it. Cool, cool. Uh, but Frank Oz shot the special yeah, and it's, well it's wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I watched uh, not really anything new. I watched Die Hard 2 and then Live Free or Die Hard just to like get some footing on my feelings for these movies. You have a lot of feelings to get off your chest. And I'm, we're, no, we're not, we're saving that for a pod, but, and it, but it, yeah. really, it really solidified for me. It's like, what the hell's the matter with people? That's going to be a therapy session for you. Yeah. This, this podcast that we're about to do about Die Hard, and you're going to get it all out and then we're never going to talk about it again. I'm fine with that. <laughs> we're going to bury all that trauma because clearly you have a lot of trauma built around these, uh, these Die Hard takes. I do. Okay. <laughs> and then of course, uh, I saw Jigoku, Japanese film from 1960, mm. which does not feel like a film from 1960. feels like something from the 70s. Mm. And it was insane. It was fucking out there, man. Mm. And it was very unpleasant. It was also amazing. <laughs> what, what, what's the premise of this movie? It's about a man who is reeling from a horrible accident, a crime that he has helped commit. And the movie is about him sort of wallowing in his regret until ultimately finding himself at the gates of hell. Hmm. And it's, uh, hmm. you understand why Gaspar Noe likes the movie a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's like, uh, that's a turnoff for me. That's like not an endorsement that like I'm dying to get. It's a, it's a. It's kind of like David Duke like endorsing <laughs> you for president. It's like Gaspar Noe likes this Japanese film from 1960. And it piques my curiosity, <laughs> my morbid curiosity. Yeah. It's a little more accessible than anything Gaspar Noe has done, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, boy, I was saying that by the end of the film, it's a, it's a bit more serene than you would expect. Mm. Um, it has, it has a lot of heart if you, if you can believe it, but 
yeah, when it chooses to get weird and disgusting and horrifying, boy, does it deliver. <laughs> it's probably the best depiction of hell I've ever seen in a movie. Wow. You know, honestly. Uh, yeah, I recommend it to anyone. Not who's... Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Well, that is the best. That would be my number that one. That is the best. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like, you know, what, what are you going to do? You can't touch Citizen Kane, so. <laughs> sure. Sure can't. Uh, cool. I'll never watch that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think I would enjoy it? Uh, probably not, okay. honestly. Okay. Uh, I watched a movie about a depiction of hell in its own way. It's called The Assistant, mm. um, which came out last year, directed by Kitty Green um, and starring Julia Gardner, who uh, is on Ozark. She's quite great on Ozark. And um, it is about, you know, workplace harassment and toxic bosses and, uh, you know, all that shit, all that timely shit. Uh, it's it's a it's actually a, a wonderful movie. Uh, Matthew McFadden yeah. from Succession is in it for like five minutes, and that scene is just like tremendous. He's playing sort of a version of his character on Succession, although Succession plays it for laughs, and this one plays it for like horror and drama. Um, and the movie is like really quite immersive. Reminded me a lot of Patterson, that uh, Jim Jaramusch. Adam Driver movie from a couple years ago. I haven't seen it. Yeah, you'd love that movie. It's mm. everybody would. It's a great movie. But uh that movie gets a lot of mileage out of repeating the same events over and mm. over again and sort of lulling you into this sense of security. And then when the littlest thing happens, it seems like the most monumental event gotcha. possible. And the assistant sort of does the same thing. Like it's very like fly on the wall, removed. Uh Julia Gardner's in like every scene of the movie, but it takes a long time, even though it's only 90 minutes, it takes a long time establishing what this, this girl's daily routine is life. Life, her daily routine is like, and, um, and then by the time like the bad shit happens, it just feels monumental. Mm -hmm. And it does like a really good job of like putting you in the point of view of somebody that goes through something like this. Uh, you know, a million of these stories are like reported on in the wall street journal or whatever, um, or in the New Yorker. And this one is like, this is the best way that you can, I think, understand this like toxic workplace sexual harassment story. Okay. Uh, so it's good. It's right. really good. I liked it. Cool, cool. I love the difference. I'm watching a movie about a guy going to hell. Yeah. You're watching a movie about uh, workplace abuse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a girl working in hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then we'll talk. Uh, I, I watched Kong Skull Island as well in preparation for Godzilla versus Kong, but we'll save that. We'll save that for next week. Mm -hmm. Tease. All right, Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks. We're talking Howard Hawks. Mm, Howie. Uh, six movies. Uh, ranging, I, I think, uh, three full decades. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Scarface came out in 1932, 32. right? Yeah, 32. And then uh, Rio Bravo came out in 1959. Okay. So, yeah, almost three decades. Howard Hawks, I would sort of consider the quintessential old Hollywood director. Yeah, I would too. The guy has ridiculous range. I know, right? <laughs> and I think that's Versatile as hell. Right. Holy crap. We're going to be talking about his versatility a lot mm -hmm. today, but yeah. like watching the career of Howard Hawks evolve from the 30s to 40s to 50s to 60s is kind of like watching the evolution of Hollywood itself. In a way, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. All still feeling kind of Howard Hawks-ish. Yeah. You know, but I was kind of like comparing him to other filmmakers of, of, of our time. I don't know. There's like a, I don't know. He's like the guy, I guess you could say like me. I don't know. I wouldn't, would you call him a hired gun? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the most, like he's like a James Mangold kind of type. Oh yeah. Constantly putting out consistently good work and different work at that. Yes. You know, but I see like why that appealed to so many people like John Carpenter or maybe like George Miller who are sort of equally as versatile in my mind, but they were sort of pigeonholed in a way. Yeah. John Carpenter at least. It's certainly. Um, yeah. Carpenter is, is I think a little more outside the mainstream yeah. than, than Hawks is, but it has a similar range I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, you know, the guy is just a craftsman. He's just like a really effective craftsman with like a robust filmography over three decades. I think he made over 40 movies yeah. in under 30 years. Oh yeah. And he started out doing silent movies and had some success there. Then went on, did like pre code, pre haze code, like gangster movies like Scarface. And then haze code comes around and he like switches to more like screwball comedies. And I think that's what like he's most known for. But then again, moves away from that. Does film noir. Uh, does some war films, some classic war films like uh, To Have or Have Not. And then finally he ends up being one of like the definitive Western directors, yeah. which is so crazy because he like starts that career in like the late 40s, early 50s. <laughs> yep. And it's like John Ford, Howard Hawk, Sergio Leone, like are, are all sort of like uh, all came to like define what the American Western was supposed to look like. So he just sort of, he, he flowed with the red river, so to speak, this guy. Oh yeah. I see you, what you did there. You see what I did there? <laughs> I kept thinking those movies came early in his career, but when I looked into it, I was like, oh my God, really? Yeah. That was late. Yeah. That was so crazy to me. He made Rio Bravo when he was like in his fifties. I know. It's crazy yeah. to think about that. It is amazing though, isn't it? I was looking into his, uh, his biography a little bit. The, uh, the guy, when he was a kid was like really into race cars. Like he loved oh. race cars and he, he worked on race cars, wanted to be a mechanic, was really interested in aviation. Mm. And he ends up like getting into a street race with Victor Fleming. That's Victor like, Fleming. Yes. What? They like raced on like a dirt track or something. And it caused like this accident. And he ended up becoming buddies with Victor Fleming. Victor Flem- Fleming brings him on as a prop boy. Wow. Just hanging around the set, just fixing shit that breaks. Like that was his whole, that was his whole role in the operation. He ends up parlaying that into a directorial career. So this was a guy and you, there are so many of these dudes like in the early twenties, like at the beginning of Hollywood of just like dudes from random industries or like former yeah. military men that come in and just, you know, create this visual language. Mm -hmm. There's none of that like pretentiousness. It's not like I went to film school and I understand the great work of the French new wave. And now I'm going to put my artistic stamp on things. It's like, no, this guy is just like a worker and he's going to take that like workman ethic and apply it to filmmaking. One of my favorite quotes of his is always, (laughs) it's, it's when he would always say filmmaking is three great scenes and no bad ones. That's it. He was <laughs> yep. just very matter of fact about it. Mm-hmm. A good director is quote, someone who doesn't annoy you. That that was his whole thing. I'm just going to make a movie that people enjoy and I'm not going to get in the way. And it's going to be very matter of fact. I'm not going to insert my point of view on these characters or on these situations. Um, but you still do have this underlying feeling in all of his movies. And it's, he's an auteur in the very traditional sense. Yes. You know, it's, you know, now we think of auteurs as guys with complete power, complete control, you know, every shot, every casting decision, every line of dialogue is attributed to this one man back in like the old Hollywood days. It was like, no, it's guys like Howard Hawks who are working on other people's scripts and working within the studio system, but put their stamp on it because that's how they know how to make a movie. 
No, they couldn't help it. Right. Can't help it. That's the other thing. He feels like the American Hitchcock or something. Yes. You know, that's, yeah, that's a good comparison. I think Hitchcock was a little more like visually distinct. Oh yeah, I agree too. Yeah. Um, but Hawks is, you know, it, it, his trademarks were not visual. His trademarks were often how, yeah, feeling how he directed actors, how dialogue would be delivered. Um, the French loved him. He was like not a big commercial hit. Interesting. Like a big commercial director, like in America, but in France, like he was just worshipped. Him and Hitchcock were worshipped, and I kind of understand why. Like French movies generally are pretty like simple visual experiments, like yeah, fly on the wall, cinema verite stuff. Um, but the 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 sense of character, like the sense of dialogue, is very French. It's funny because like both Hitchcock and Howard Hawks are such obvious formalists, yeah, you know, of the craft. But like the French New Wave, especially, is not that at all. But I do see when I watch something like Rio Bravo, like where a lot of that inspiration could have come from and just like focusing on the characters or the human elements of those things Hmm. in a way that is just so, I don't know, distinct or at least true. You know, they did like and well, the the most obvious example for me was Red River and we'll get to that. But just like separating the bullshit from what like what actually matters. Hmm. I don't know. I, and there I, is a lot of Hollywood bullshit in, in his movies. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, that era was defined by Hollywood bullshit a lot yes. of the time. You just have to be able to adjust to it, I guess. And sometimes the Hollywood bullshit works to its favor. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I thought like this list was like a, a pretty easy list to get through. I, I, I just found these to be very brisk watches. I, I never felt like they dragged uh, I was never bored. I was never like, cause sometimes you watch some of these movies, they feel like homework. It's old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're very long. Um, nice. I didn't, I didn't feel that way at all. I found like all of them like fairly entertaining in their own way, even though I like some more than others. I definitely like some more. There's, I mean, there's one that I just, I just don't like. Mm-hmm. You definitely love these a little bit, a little bit more than I did. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, mm, it's, it's funny. I think there's only two that I like love, you know, like just love, love. And then there's uh, three others that I like and then one that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. I love most of them. Yeah. I don't love all of them, but I love most of them. I reevaluated my feelings on one. I thought I loved three, but it turns out I love two. Oh, that's too bad. I know. <laughs> okay. So some honorable mentions I had for you. Uh, 1934's 20th Century is Hawks's first um screwball comedy mm-hmm. came to sort of define the screwball comedy uh genre uh, that was 1934 only angels have wings in 1939 is like this like you know epic romance to have and have not 1994 is uh i think a bogart movie i think it might be bogart bergman as a matter of fact mm-hmm. um war epic the thing from another world. There's a conversation we maybe could have had because the, I mean, a lot of disputes on set about who directed that movie too. So, mm. you know, and it, uh, to my understanding, I mean, from what I've seen of it, it's very uh, Howard Hawksy as well. Yes. So I don't know. I, I, I I've kind of wanted to talk about it, but you know, because of like the the controversy with that one, I, I thought it made more sense to just be simple, pure Howard Hawks here. Okay. So by technicality. Yeah. yeah. The, the rumor there is that he just let his editor take uh, like the credit directorially, but he was like on set doing everything. Really? Okay. Yeah. It's the rumor. I don't know if it's ever been confirmed, but mm-hmm. uh, yep. That's the thing from the other, from another world. Uh, Gentlemen prefer blondes, 1953, Marilyn Monroe. Um, comedy or musical musical comedy classic uh marilyn monroe film 
Uh, kind of interesting. We're going to talk about the Hoxian woman, I think, uh, throughout this conversation, because there are a lot of them in his films. Uh, he has a very specific taste in women, I would say. <laughs> and sure. You know, at first, like he was, uh, you know, he was casting women like Catherine Hepburn and Lauren Bacall, who are tough talking, no bullshit, like powerful women. And then I think as his career evolved and as society evolved, I think the women became a little more like powerless damsel in distress. And, you know, I was reading about this. um, There was a film critic that said that essentially post-World War II, women's role in society was significantly changed. And I think during World War II, the strong, powerful woman was a lot more accepted than post-World War II where women like Marilyn Monroe, who are like more classical beauties, Mm. not like girls next door um, and always in trouble rather than the ones getting men out of trouble. I'm not sure I'd call them damsel in distresses, though. I think I know where you're going. I don't consider the woman in like Rio Bravo to be a total damsel. No, in I distress. don't. No, I don't. I think she's actually a traditional Hoxian woman. I love her. Yeah. Fucking Christ. I love that. She's woman. great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, just another, you know, way that uh, you, you can sort of track the evolution of Hollywood through Hawks. Mm. Hatari is in 1962. Uh, I think that's a John Wayne like african adventure movie oh and uh, el dorado in 1967 which is basically a remake of rio bravo yeah he made that movie like three times i know (laughs) good for him good for him yeah did i wonder uh, who directed the movie where john wayne plays fu manchu that is a great question is it is it fu manchu or is it uh no 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 it's not fu manchu it's uh genghis khan he plays fucking genghis khan why did John I... Wayne plays Genghis Khan in a movie? Yes, he does. <laughs> the Conqueror. <laughs> there, it, there it is. Genghis Khan. Dick Powell, 1956. It's got a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> we got to do it on Why Is This a Thing? Wow. I've, I've seen clips. He doesn't even try to change <laughs> his accent. <laughs> The movie that accidentally almost killed half its cast. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Uh huh. I must see this. Me too. This is a why is this a thing movie? Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. There was the the U.S. turned swaths of desert radioactive during the Cold War and denied it bequeathing a medical mystery that still haunts Hollywood and rural Mormon communities and raises the question, how much do you trust the government? So what they shot this thing like in the wreckage of the Manhattan project. Is that what that was? I guess. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Right. I need to read about this. The conqueror. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let's get into it. Scarface, 1932, starring Paul Mooney and Dvorak, Karen Morley, and Osgood Perkins. Osgood Perkins? Yes. It, this, it was 1932, man. It was a long time ago. All right. I'm, I'm switching my the, the my choice names for my kids when I have them. Osgood. Os- Abby, hear me out. Osgood. <laughs> it's like Oswald, but better. <laughs> An ambitious, you thought Oswald was good. <laughs> an ambitious and nearly insane, violent gangster climbs the ladder of success in the mod mob, but his weakness, 
weakness is incest. I cannot read today. <laughs> Proved to be his downfall. Incest is his weakness. That's not fair, but it's true. <laughs> is that the implication of yes, that? Of course it is. The implication in the novel. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why it goes even further with the Brian De Palma film. <laughs> uh, sure. I was like surprised how much overlap there was. Me too. Yeah. That was the most fascinating thing about this. It's It becomes more obvious by the, the third act especially. But like the more I was tracking it, the more I'm like, you know, like I, I expected it to be totally different. Like just Scarface from uh, 1983 to be one of those remakes that is just a total reimagining. I mean, yeah, it is, but it also isn't. You'd be surprised how much is actually here. Right. I, I couldn't believe the uh, the world is yours was in this. I was yeah. actually shocked to see that. Yeah. Uh, it kind of, in hindsight, made like a lot of the weird plot machinations of that first movie make more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always thought, and you know, I'm not a huge fan of the the remake. We just talked about the, the remake a couple weeks ago. The stuff with the sister at the end felt a little contrived. Like it felt a little too like Shakespearean in its tragedy and not like authentic, even though the movie is very like authentically violent. It's mm-hmm. like... Really, like he would kill his best friend because like he was going to marry his sister. Like it just it feels like a very it feels like Greek myth. Like it feels like but that's why I love it. Yeah, and <laughs> that's I, exactly why I love it. And I understand that. But I think it made a lot more sense because in this context, like these very weird plot decisions almost make more sense in this type of world. Like I mean, because it was written in 1932. Oh, just the older sensibility. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm cool with a movie getting that dramatic too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just it's ve- you know it's it it's more cinematic for me personally. You know, even if it's like yeah, it's not exactly what would happen, but that's the point. It's a right. It's a swishy, saturated candy of a movie. So sure. What do you want? So it made a lot more sense, but there's a lot of overlap, like mm-hmm. the the stuff with the sister, the the mother like yep. uh, refusing her son's money essentially, and says that he's no good. Like that again reappears in the De Palma movie. Uh, you have the betrayal of the boss, you have the rise to power, and you have like basically the same ending. Basically, exactly. Yeah, I agree. You yeah. know, I mean, who are going? There's a difference between who is shooting at whom, right? And you know wh- why they're doing that <laughs> is mm. very different. Like, like there's they, they change a lot of like the motivations around, and and obviously like like the labels of certain people. But if you just take them as players, just like you know, one going against this other guy, like it's pretty, you know. A guy rises, he falls for basically the same reasons. Mm. Yeah. So this thing was in 1932. It's a long ass time ago. I think kind of still holds up though. I liked it. I liked it. I liked the movie. Yeah. It's solid. It's, it's a pretty decent gangster film. A lot lot of that is elevated by the performances, which are just so entertaining. Entertaining. I wouldn't say great. No, I don't think so either. But like, I mean, I guess they certainly work for the time, but I mean, just as an action movie, it's actually not so bad. I thought a lot of Tommy guns, a lot of Tommy movie about Tommy guns in many ways, too many bullets by the way, but (laughs) neither here nor there. There's like a scene where they're just like shooting the Tommy gun for what feels like 30 seconds. And like that would maybe last five seconds. Right. (laughs) It is crazy how much violence there is. There's so much violence. It's insane. (laughs) It's not like bloody gory or anything. It's just like aggressive. Right. And it's really loud and in your face. And that's, I guess where a lot of the shocking elements come from. Mm. And you also just don't always expect people to die. You don't expect people to, 
to get thrown from cars as much as they do. Oh yeah. You know, and just get their arms broken. Right. I mean, obviously they're dummies, but yeah. I, I could understand like back then where it's like, Oh God, that looked horrible. It is insane to think that this thing came out 90 years ago with the sensibility of the time. And it is this very weird period as we, we just talked about, like it's, right at the beginning of the talkie era. It's right after silent film sort of went away, but before the Hayes code kicked in in 1934. So you got four years where like the stuff was kind of government regulated, but it was not as strict and you could get away with a lot of shit if you knew what you were doing. Um, and you just had like, you know, golden balls. Um, and that's what how Howard Hawks certainly had here. He's just like, we're just gonna make this thing as violent as possible. Yeah. Fuck the Hayes commission. Um, and, uh, it, it delivers, man. And like, it also does sort of put into context that remake and it's yeah, like, and why that one was so violent. Oh, that's why you had, that's the only logical next step. Yeah, exactly. For that it first would, movie. It'd be disingenuous to make a tame version of Scarface because right. that's totally antithetical to the spirit, Sure, which makes me wonder what Luca Guadagnino is going to do. Yeah, dude. I have no, especially after seeing Suspiria, like, whoa, (laughs) Suspiria meets the mob. Dude, I can't wait for this scarf. (laughs) Honestly. And if Joel Cohen is actually going to write it, it's already written. Is it? Yeah. Script's already done. I think they both wrote it. Dude, it's going to be like the best movie of our lives. (laughs) I can't fucking (laughs) wait for that movie. (laughs) Uh, the thing was, however, heavily regulated, or at least there were attempts to regulate it. Uh, the Hayes office pre Hayes code, um, you know, successfully lobbied to uh, implement certain changes. For example, the movie had to be called Scarface Shame of a Nation. That was a that was a Hayes office decision. That was not the original title of the movie, but they wanted to make it explicitly clear that what these characters were doing was bad for society and it was shameful behavior. Is that why it has the opening text? Because I yes, I hated that bizarre. Book. It's like really bizarre it's like propaganda feeling. Even though I mean, yeah, sure, I guess they're making the point is not like like vile or anything, but like it's just not the place for the movie, right? So it's not it's not the movie's job to be doing stuff like that. Oh, it's like authoritarian. I it's hate, vaguely authoritarian the I, opening. Yeah, I really didn't like that. And I was worried that that's what the whole movie was going to be, but it was very obvious to me like okay, something the movie's quite clearly not as interested in that. Mm. It's it's just more more of like an action piece in my opinion. Yes. And like a traditional like 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 Greek tragedy like you said, mm. which I was I I love that. That's, sure. that that that's my shit. But like seeing that at the beginning it just didn't feel like Howard Hawks to me at all. Yeah, definitely not. That was yes, a Hayes office okay. uh yeah. Now, a, again, a they lot did, more sense. They did not mm. have the power to censor movies. They didn't have the power to remove them from theaters, but they could lobby to delay the thing. They could lobby to get theaters to not carry it. Audiences love this movie, though. And it did very well at the box office, and it's still a classic, and it came to define the gangster genre, certainly. Yeah, it. it uh, but it is a very weird opening title card. Essentially, it uh, there are like three title cards at the beginning that say that gang violence is on the rise and politicians have to do something. And then there's like another line that's like, the government is your government. What are you going to do? Exactly. And then there are actual lines of dialogue in the movie. There's a scene with like a newspaper editor. There's a scene with the police chief and like a bunch of citizens just hanging around being like, these gangsters sure are violent. The, the police chief one is the worst where it's just like the movie literally sits you down to lecture about why they're bad. It's like, I just saw these people mow down 15 <laughs> people mimicking the St. Valentine's Day massacre. I know they're bad people. Right. <laughs> 
It's so weird. It's like yeah. there there were concerns at the time that this movie would provide a path for youngins to like embrace a life of crime. Like it was essentially a roadmap for young people. If they were to see this movie, it's, one, it's the first example of one of these movies. Yes. Oh, don't, don't God, I hate this fucking argument. Sure. Don't grab a gun and shoot people. Cause that's what movies do to you. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of changes were made. I was going to ask you, can you think of another mob movie that is like this explicitly anti mob? Because I can't think of one. Every great mob movie, you know, great mob movie, yeah, Goodfellas, The Godfather, like you know, are at least like sympathetic towards the people, if not the profession. I guess uh, uh, the Untouchables. I like the Untouchables a lot. I guess you know, I like that one more than Scarface, honestly. So, I guess Scarface is pretty anti-mob, but again, like that the or the remake, I should say, yeah. But like even that one, it's like he's a Cuban refugee, like sure. There, there are some elements of it that are sympathetic. I, yeah, maybe Untouchables, ironically. And that's funny because they're both about... I mean, it's Bronx not, Tale, maybe? Maybe. I, I don't like Black Mass, but that's another example. Yeah. Uh, no, I yeah, Untouchables, which is funny because both of these movies are about Al Capone, even though his name is not Al Capone, but it's about Al Capone. Right. There's a great story. So Ben Hecht, who wrote the thing, was a former Chicago journalist uh, during the Prohibition era, and he covered Al Capone pretty extensively. So... When he ends up writing the script and they start making the movie, these two goons show up in Ben Heck's really? hotel room. Uh, Heck to sure had to assure them that this was not actually a movie about Al Capone, uh, that it was just a marketing ploy to get people into the theater to see the movie. That's why they called it Scarface. Of course, it is actually about Al Capone. But the uh, the two goons were so impressed by the racket of this scam that they were like, all right, you're good. Go ahead and make the movie. Years later, Al Capone actually came to appreciate this film and owned a copy of it. Yep, I heard about that too. That's so funny. Uh, Yeah, so there's a lot of great stuff here. I didn't know the goon story. That's freaky. Jesus, what a time. What a time, man. (laughs) What a time. Where you could write a movie and like some mobsters actually might show up. I kind of wish that would happen now. How great would that be if we were podcasting, a couple goons walked in? (laughs) Take a seat, guys. Let's talk. (laughs) You're great guests. (laughs) Um, yeah, a lot of other changes were, were put into place as well. Um, including that ending, the ending was different in the initial cut. The, the cut that you see now is, is, uh, Howard Hawks's intention. Um, but he does not actually get mowed down in, in that, uh, in that re-release or in that recut. Um, the, the Hayes office made, uh, Howard Hawks change it to Tony giving himself up to the police, him being brought to prison, expressing remorse for his crimes, and then hanged on the gallows. That's sympathetic, though, isn't it? In a way? I mean, kind of. But I, I think, like, the whole point was, like, crime doesn't pay, and you're not going to go down in, in a blaze of glory. Like, it's not going to be heroic in any ways. It's it wasn't be like, heroic. It, it was pathetic by the end. Yeah. When he tries to run away, and he's all disheveled, and then they just mow him I down. think the yeah. censored ending was even more pathetic. Or at least that was the point. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's it's pathetic to even attempt something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, that, that doesn't work for me at all. A uh, lot of clever shots in this thing. Mm-hmm. 
I love the opening with yeah, the silhouette. Too. Murder yeah. is just phenomenal, like so ahead of its time. Any sort of like Im- Im- impressionistic image like that, I just I get a kick out of. You know, it, it's always like creepy and effective. You How know? about that shot that's like the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? It's like supposed to be and they like pan up to the scaffolding and there's that row of X's in the scaffolding yeah. like to represent the seven people shot. Mm. The recurring X motif, yeah. I just think, is like so clever. That was a big one. You know, Scott Pilgrim Friends of the World does that a lot. That's true. A lot, a lot. They do. Yeah. But even just like the effects stuff, which I see Howard Hawks repeat a lot, like <laughs> just seeing the bullets, like like you get the shadows of the men and then the bullet holes just go through them, yeah. hitting the brick walls behind them, creating that nice dust effect. It's just, oh, it's magic. Yeah. It's good stuff. How about the Tommy gun in front of the calendar as the calendar flips and just every yeah. shot of the Tommy gun flips a page. <laughs> the optical effect of the matting it over. Oh, that was good stuff. The movie is so extra, but it like in matter. 1932, it works. No, it, it honestly does justify like a lot of the decisions for me for that remake. And I like the remake, but I've always like somewhat agreed it is a bit much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, when I, after seeing this, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't understand like how else you would have done it. Yeah. Seriously. So. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is a good movie. It's Scarface. Yeah, really good movie. And I dig it. Me too. Moving on. Moving on. 1938's Bringing Up Baby, starring Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. While trying to secure a $1 million donation for his museum, a befuddled paleontologist is pursued by a flighty and often irritating heiress and her pet leopard baby. Baby. This is the movie that started this podcast. It was. I watched it and loved it. Uh, and one of the reasons I loved it is also one of the reasons why I'm sure you didn't love it. Oh, which is this concept is ridiculous and like kind of formulaic. And there are a million movies like this. Last year, we talked about that Ronald Reagan movie, Bedtime for Bonzo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like there's so many of like those studio comedies that like have animals or like really like zany hijinks yeah. going on. And none of them are as funny as this. Sure. I just find this thing to be unbelievably funny. Okay. And that is the only reason why I love it. Okay. And that's enough. Like, it's just so fucking funny. All right. Because that's precisely why I don't love it. Okay. Because I don't think it's a poorly made movie at all. And I don't think any of the performances are bad. I don't, you know, it's, it, it's so much a step above something like Bedtime for Bonzo and that it actually feels like it cares about uh, constructing the hijinks. Yes. And you know, I mean, Cary Grant's just wonderful in this movie. It's so just good. wonderful. Um, and I have some feelings on Catherine Hepburn. Um, I found it deeply unfunny. Wow. I didn't laugh once. I was laughing I was, constantly. I just found it like, and that that's the thing. It's like, it's not one of those movies that like, it probably doesn't, it doesn't deserve any hate. You know, if I were ranking this, if I were like, I, I was, I hate to say yeah, I was incredibly bored by it. Um, if I were to give it like a star rating, it's like a three, three and a half, you know, cause it's a good movie. It's just, you know, it, it, it just didn't really work for me in terms of just personal enjoyment. You know, it is what it is. I, I, I don't really know what to say. I, I think it would have, um, I would have come to this movie's favorite and had more to talk about if I found the individual scenes funny, but I just wasn't laughing, man. I just hmm. couldn't get into it. Kind of an anxiety movie. That's okay. Which is which is one of like my favorite subgenres. Yeah, Uncut Gems, Goodfellas, whatever. Yeah, uh, what's up, Doc? 
What's Up Doc definitely, I mean, What's Up Doc like, is basically a remake of this movie. Exactly, but that feels like a more considered movie in a way, in, in terms of like because handling. Because of the plot? No, just in terms of handling the jokes. It's all the jokes. I don't care about the plot in these movies at all. It's okay. not, I don't care about how ridiculous it, it gets. I mean, it's a screwball comedy. Yes. Um, it is like the screwiest of screwball comedies too, this movie. <laughs> when, you, when you just look at the fact that they're trying to transport a fucking leopard everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I, I, I. I, I don't know. I just wish those jokes, they just felt kind of weak to me. And I, 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 I can't really remember a single moment that I found funny. I guess the funniest moment would have been when he would tell her to shut up. Mm. Cause that's me in the movie. Like, sure. Yes, Catherine, <laughs> please shut up. God, your character's fucking annoying. When she rips her dress at the, at the ball, when, when he meets the aunt for the first time and this nope. is Mr. Bone and the whole confusion about who Mr. Bone is. I thought it was lame. Wow. I thought it was super lame. AFI calls this the number yeah. 88 movie of all time. Oh, Jesus. The only Howard Hawks movie in the top 100. What? This one. Wow. Yeah. And I gotta be honest, I think it might be my favorite. This one's your favorite? And I know it's like a sizzling hot take. I know that I am probably in the minority when I say this. Um, I just, I laughed so fucking hard during this. I really did. Now, there are a lot of pratfalls. So many pratfalls. Yeah. Maybe too many pratfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel that way. Like I just appreciated the workmanlike quality of this and just like how effective each individual scene is in like just delivering that shot of serotonin. Mm. Um, you might not feel that the same way and that's fine. Like maybe it's not your sense of humor. Maybe it's more my sense of humor. I guess it's fine. You know, did you, I, is it, is it more of like one of those instances where it's like you didn't see the pitfalls or you just didn't care? Cause I can understand that. You know, what do you mean? Like there are many movies where it's like, I see that there are problems with the movie. It doesn't matter to me at all. You know, it doesn't really affect my, that serotonin hit that you're referring to. Uh, yeah, I didn't care. Okay. Like I, I truly didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care about the holes in the plot. Like I didn't care about this ridiculous premise. I didn't care about the fact that the guy was literally like a paleontologist. (laughs) Like, like, I mean, like it's such, it is just such Hollywood crap. (laughs) Um, like the, the jokes were just so fucking funny. Like every time these characters fall, fell on their face, I laughed mm-hmm. and I know like maybe that is like the cheapest form of comedy. Maybe like maybe I'm just a normie and a simpleton. It, it works for me, man. All right, all right, all right. It, it does. It does work for me. Um, and also like the chemistry worked. These two people are great. I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit uh, later on. Actually, we'll be talking about it with the next movie on the list. Because I agree with the next movie. I'm not quite there okay. with you on, on this one. I felt like they, they were, I mean, they're sort of deliberately water and oil, aren't they, in a lot of ways? Uh, yes, certainly. I think one of Hawks's greatest strengths is his ability to, like, harness the power of his leading men. Yeah. Oh God, this is the big, the Cary Grant is just so good. Cary Grant's great in this, but (laughs) Cary Grant is not great in like the traditional movie star way. Like Cary Grant's great because he's a schlub. Cary Grant (laughs) is is a moron. What? Like he's a moron that's incapable of saying no. Well, that this, is just being batted around and pushed around in in this. Yes, in I that, agree that's what that. I mean. Okay, okay, I that's, like, that's what I'm saying. Generally, though. I'm like, not really. That's but that's I think one of Hawks's greatest abilities yeah, is yeah. he's able to take that like, you know, that curveball out of him. It's not a mm. fastball 100 percent of the time. Sometimes he's throwing in some sliders and some change. Grant's a really good comedy actor, though. Yeah, it's one of those like ones you wouldn't suspect as 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 good at comedy as 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 he actually is. Certainly. You know? But I, I think it, his roles in these two movies are very different. Like one, he's playing yeah. like 
a guy and I'm talking about his girl Friday now mm-hmm. um, in his girl Friday. He's playing someone that's very in control in command, kind of like a sleazeball and manipulative Bastard. and yeah. hate, you hate him, but you're so entertained by him. Right. Whereas bringing a baby, you are totally sympathetic towards him um, and you feel just so bad for him. And I love movies where the world collapses around our hero. I love unravelings. I love movies where a guy just like loses his shit because of the situation <laughs> that he's found himself in. Cause that's you, Nico. Yes. You. It's me all the time. It's me all the time. <laughs> that's you right now. <laughs> no, um, but I, I like yeah. that too. I fucking adore uncut gems. Yeah. And I loved, uh, uh, what's up doc. I might like what's up doc more than uncut gems. Honestly, that's a great movie. That's a great movie. That's a great movie. I've grown to like it more since I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have that momentum with this there. My point is like, there are many instances where it's like, for me, at least the comedy, like, I don't know where you found it. Like when he gets to the, the aunt's house and they're just doing the, the whole dinner spiel like that, that is the, the most like, Christ, that's like the most painful screeching halt I've seen in a movie in a long time where hmm. it just hits quicksand. And I'm just, I, 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 I didn't really get out of it until the, the people with the other leopard came back okay. and then I was kind of back in it, but like I was like falling asleep at that point, man. And I rarely do that, but yeah, seriously, when they get to the, the aunt's house and they put baby back in the pen and they're just trying to have dinner, I'm just like, get on with this movie. Like I'm really getting sick of this. Hmm. It wasn't working. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I get it. I guess I get it. Like if I were to map <laughs> this thing out just on a plot level, I, I don't think it would work much on paper An execution though. This is just like a movie that is almost moving faster than your brain, <laughs> you know? And that I think is like what I appreciate about it is it's okay, like, first of all, the jokes sometimes just <laughs> sail right past you. Cause it's like what, like literally what's happening Catherine Hepburn is clearly mentally ill. Yes. She, this man should not have ended up no. in Connecticut with her at all. Mm-hmm. Why is there a tiger here? There's a second tiger. When was a second tiger introduced? <laughs> you know, like I, I and I get it. Um, it's a funnier movie for me to talk about. Yeah. Though. That's okay. that, that's the thing. Like, like, cause when you, when we discuss it, it's like, that's a movie. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's a movie where everyone locks themselves in a jail to hide away from a tiger by the end of it. Like, sure. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm. So like just seeing like, like picturing the image of Catherine Hepburn dragging a big cat. <laughs> Come on, come on, baby. Oh, I'm, I'm so mad at you. It's like, well, but my, but talking about it is funny. But for me, when I watched it, the movie didn't like play into that scene with like a comedic edge for me personally. It didn't okay. have the momentum to sell that in a way that was funny. It just kind of is. Mm. If that means, it just plainly her dragging uh, a cat, which again, I, I, I say it out loud. It's funny. But when I watch it, I'm like, oh. Okay. And I felt the complete opposite way. Yeah. I think if you were to describe this plot to me, I would shrug, but <laughs> because Howard Hawks is so good at this mm-hmm. and you know, because he doesn't cut too much, no. he sort of lets everything play out in the wide. He talked about this with Bogdanovich and Bogdanovich took a lot of that advice when he made what's up doc, but let the actors move fast. Let them like dictate the cuts. Mm-hmm. Don't let the editing, don't let the camera dictate the cuts. And it's, it is fun and it, it works very well. Like when you play like camera uh, actors re- moving really, really fast in like a wide frame, there's just something inherently silly about that. Yes. It just looks amusing, particularly in like those hallway scenes and what's up doc. Oh boy, does that work? It's so good. It's really With the fun. suitcases. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's the same reason why like Buster Keaton still works to this day or why Charlie Chaplin still works so well. Sure. So. Um, so yeah, I just felt like the craft and these actors and their charm sort of tricked me into like really enjoying the movie. 
Do you know what I mean? Like it's it, it wasn't a great movie on the page. It was just a great movie when it was shot, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I the the big the biggest takeaway for me is Cary Grant and a couple scenes with Baby. I guess the, the, there is a great moment where she, when she's on the phone and she's like, "I have this leopard," and then the leopard just walks up. Mm. And that's amusing to me visually. I'm okay. just, I was never like laughing out loud. It was more like, <laughs> and yeah. that was that, you know? And I guess like for a comedy, I'm, I'm just looking for a little bit more, you know? Okay. So, but it's a good movie. Like, <laughs> like you would, my experience is, is, I don't know. I, 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 I'm willing to rank movies like this a little higher than I think you would if you had my experience. <laughs> Uh oh, because I'm saying like I, I did. See. I didn't enjoy the movie, but I'm. I see what I'm, you mean. I'm willing to be like it's still like the three and a half star. I see what movie. you mean. Whereas like you probably, if you had my experience, would have given it like two stars. <laughs> um, are you saying that I'm too critical of movies, Adam? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. <laughs> Sometimes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sing bombed at the box office. Yep. Catherine Hepburn was like ostracized from Hollywood for a few years. Until was she? Yeah, or at least like, you know, I, I think uh, Howard Hawks was fired from whatever production company made this movie. And yeah, Hepburn made her big comeback a few years later with the Philadelphia story, which she also co-starred with Cary Grant in. Uh, that was in 1940. And now, of course, it's considered this great American comedy classic. Uh, Cary Grant improvised the line. Uh, because I just went gay all of a sudden. That's, now that when that when was, wearing the woman's lingerie. Now that was a belly laugh for me. Okay, <laughs> that was a good one. It's Cary Grant, though. Fun fact about that line: mm-hmm. it was not scripted as I went gay all of a sudden. It was scripted as I went strange all of a sudden. I went weird all of a sudden. Like it was supposed to be, uh, you know, like a, a very plain reading of. Uh, uh, of that explanation the word gay was inserted in there and many at the time thought this he was saying gay to mean happy like i just went gay like i went crazy happy uh. this might be the first fictional work in recorded history to use the word gay in a homosexual context wow that now that's amazing and it is still an item of debate to this day because i heard it and i just thought it stuck out i was like whoa i did not expect that right so Hmm, interesting. So the the theory is that Cary Grant and his actor friends like were just very sort of like aware of that scene of the gay scene and they would have known that slang whereas someone at the studio wouldn't have known that slang. So it might be that's the first time. Fascinating. The word gay was ever used in that context. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. And uh that's bringing up baby. I love it. Might be my favorite movie on the list. It's yeah, it's it, it's a good movie that didn't work for me at all, but what are you what are you doing? Teaches them. Yeah. His Girl Friday. 1940, starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. A newspaper editor uses every trick in the book to keep his ace reporter ex-wife from remarrying. (laughs) This is an adaptation of Ben Hecht. There's Ben Hecht again. His play, The Front Page. Play that I love. Uh, It was made in 1931, produced by Howard Hughes. Initially, nine years later, um, Hawks decided to remake it with a female in one of the roles and a man in the other role and to make it more of a romantic comedy than just a a comedy about two men reporters. Uh, It was then adapted yet again in 1974 by Billy Wilder, a Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon comedy. It's my favorite adaptation. I meant to see it because I know you love it, but I hadn't, uh, I haven't watched it yet. Shoot. But you like it. I love it. Okay. I love it. 
But this is considered the definitive one. But that's interesting. That's a hot take from you. That's the best one, the 1974. Not the best. Well, I, oh yeah, it's for me, it's the best adaptation. And and a lot of that is for reasons why I do like His Girl Friday, of course. Hmm. Uh, It's really good. Um, What I will say about um, both bringing up Baby, honestly, and um, the front page from 1974 is that, you know, at least they're movies. Hmm. (laughs) Like this is just a filmed play, isn't it? There's not even a lot of like, like, complications with like the cutting it's all like the 180 degree proscenium arch thing they don't do much with it it, 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 as far as like interesting camera moves i've seen more egregious examples of film plays i i guess i have but this is certainly up there i mean you know i don't care no i know it's it's so entertaining is the thing it's like i can't i don't come down on it too hard i mean yeah i know it's it's for me it's basically a film play it's it's still a movie it's just you know from 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 someone who just loves like the visual side of things i was hoping for a little bit more and the front page does that Mm. the front page is very clever with how it moves around from scene by scene and it's also much better with editing yeah where it doesn't feel like a play like one of the interesting things about this one is that it fades in and out the same way a play would where it's like lights go down and we change the stage and then lights come back up and everyone enters from one side of the room and that Mm. literally happens in this movie especially when they're in the main newsroom and they're hiding the guy in the in the desk and everyone is literally entering from one side of the room and exiting to the same side right and it's like damn this is a play holy shit this is such a play uh but yeah i mean it's just like like a machine gun of dialogue it's like one of the greatest scripts i've ever heard in my life (laughs) yeah well it's actually better when you hear it than when you read it oh god yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly it's estimated that the normal rate of verbal dialogue in most films is about 90 words a minute in his girl friday the delivery has been clocked at 240 words per minute (laughs) jesus christ uh hawks was hosting a dinner party when the topic of dialogue was brought up he pulled up a copy of the front page to demonstrate the snappy exchanges between characters taking the role of burns a female guest took the role of hildy while reading hawks realized the dialogue sounded much better with a woman reading and quickly uh, secured the rights for the film from howard hughes uh, so that's the uh, you know the origin of that whole story. It is like a really great script, though. Insanely good. Uh, and I, I I'm actually dying to see that Billy Wilder uh, movie. Maybe I'll I'll watch that tonight. Um, it's not as fast as this, at least okay. t- from what I remember. It's a, you know it takes time a bit more, but I guess that's okay. I mean I I don't honestly like after this I needed like a breather. Yes. <laughs> so it's so for me at least it's not necessarily a detriment if your movie chooses to take a little more time with with. I wouldn't say the dialogue's slow per se, but it's, it's not this. Yes. <laughs> nothing, but this is the point. Like nothing is this, right. nothing is this. <laughs> and it essentially was the first like crosstalk movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the movie stage door from 1937 is credited as the very first, but this is one of the first movies to really implement crosstalk in order to uh, make the scenes more realistic. Okay. It's the, it's the doom of crosstalk movies? Correct, Adam. Yes. You need a new metaphor. <laughs> I was waiting for you to you say need that. A more, you need a new metaphor. <laughs> I, I just love that metaphor. You need a new it, metaphor for Urtex. It makes me very, very happy to <laughs> cite Doom whenever possible. <laughs> um, and you know me, man. My, uh, my only note when I see a movie is not enough talking. <laughs> 
talk more. Talk all the time. Have you considered talking more? <laughs> this is maybe the greatest indicator of our difference in taste. Because I'm like, yes. please shut up. You're right. Please, yeah. please be quiet. Just behave. Sure. Just behave. That's all I need. <laughs> and <laughs> oh my God, these fucking people won't shut up. Just keep talking. <laughs> Talk until I jump out of this window, which is literally what happens in this movie. A woman jumps out of a window. And doesn't die. And doesn't <laughs> die. Which is so funny. Um... I could never get enough of snappy dialogue. The, the end, like the 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 three way conversation between Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell, and uh, Ralph Bellamy, it is just like the most well choreographed thing you'll ever see on screen. It is just perfection. Is perfection in every possible way. Considering also this was in 1940, like sound constraints were a thing. It was hard to record sound for a movie in 1940. Like talkies were only 10 years old. Um, there are these great stories about how Howard Hawks did not want to use boom mics because he wanted to pick up the dialogue as crisp as possible. So he would have an audio switcher off uh, off screen, just switching back and forth because he can't like use multiple mics at the same time. They didn't have those capabilities. So there were just a guy frantically hitting different buttons <laughs> off stage <laughs> trying to pick up every word of dialogue. Yep. And it, they went way over budget. They it, like, they were 12 days over, I think in terms of their allotted filming time. And like, again, I just, I can't get enough of it. Um, it is the urtext. I think for all the movies that I love for the Woody Allen films, oh, yeah. the Noah Baumbach films, um, Altman, man, the Altman films Jeez. that just, you know, cannot get enough of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love it. I love when dialogue is just sort of said dismissively. I just love when like a line doesn't 100% land because or it doesn't matter. And or it doesn't matter. Joke. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I, I just fucking love that shit, man. Yeah. I see the thing is I do love it too. Yeah. Especially in a movie like this where it's, where it's being like really, really sharply funny. Yeah. Now if I'm supposed to hang on the lines and they were doing that, it wouldn't work. But that being said, that's movies like that rarely ever do that. Mm -hmm. So here, yeah, I, I, I do invite, I don't have any issue with the screenplay whatsoever. I think it's amazing. Mm. And uh, I think everyone, I'm, I'm actually kind of impressed by just, the, the range these actors have to pull that off. I could never do this. And I don't know anybody who could No, like, this is unbelievable no timing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like how do you have like that good comedic timing to be moving that fast and make every line that's supposed to land land. I know you're moving like a thousand miles an hour. <laughs> it's like that scene in when Harry met Sally, when they're on the phone with the, with the two friends. Yeah. Oh, that's a great scene too. That's yeah. another scene where it's like, how, like how much rehearsal did this take? Like this must've yeah. taken you like 60 takes to yeah, get here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And even just like the shot where she's got the two phones and she's going back and forth and the camera's swapping oh, back so, and it's forth. So good. It's just like, Jesus, I'm struggling to keep up. And everyone's <laughs> in synchronicity with one another, the yeah. camera operator and, and Rosalind Russell and like, and, and Hawks, they're all on the same page. Oh yeah. This is how fast we're supposed to move. This is the way to like maximize comedic potential out of the line. Yes, exactly. And it's like, there, there is a synchronicity to everything about the film, particularly, particularly with the camera movements and the editing. Yeah, you know, yeah, but it like like I keep coming back to it is all script and it's all performance. Is it a great film in quotes? I'm not totally. I mean, that's part of filmmaking, I, though, isn't it? Yeah, but it's also like not necessarily. Like, again, I keep going back to the front page that sort of recognizes like where you can go with the setting and you you know how to make this like notably a film rather than just like a filmed live event, mm -hmm. which is kind of more of what this feels like. So it doesn't necessarily like realize its full potential on a visual spectrum, but 
on a script level, yeah. I, 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 where I'm at with this movie right now is that it's not necessarily a great film, but goddamn, is this like the best script ever, you know? So it sort of balances hmm. out for me. Uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Number 19 comedy of all time, according to AFI, and in Quentin Tarantino's top 10. Nah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> there are two films on this list that are in Quentin Tarantino's top 10, and that is one of them. I think he puts it at number five. Yeah. This is a very good movie. What did you think about that change from the the dramatic to the rom-com angle? Or I should say the two men to the the man and a woman. Oh. Having seen the front page, <laughs> which version do you prefer just like on paper? You know, I don't really know. I Because I, I, I was aware of that. I was I, I understood that this was a uh, another adaptation of the front page, and I thought that was interesting that they swapped roles. But uh, it certainly adds like a level of tension to the characters on, in any given scene. It certainly makes you question the motivations of Cary Grant hmm. for, for basically everything that he's doing. And it, it do, I, maybe it does work better. I don't know. Like I said, because you're sort of wondering like when they're going to come back together or if they're just going to keep rubbing against each other. There's just a lot of friction when you have the man and the woman. It does make that ending a little more sinister. That's the other thing. Well, the, the the ending of the front page is pretty sinister too. Okay, they're they're just cynical, like 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 black comedies. But there's something like a little less like manipulative mm. about. I mean, again, I haven't seen the front page, but like something about a man doing it to a woman and like opening her eyes to this true love and this true obsession of hers. I don't know. Putting it in that romantic context like seems almost a little more evil, but also like like really it's, fucking cool. It's <laughs> like I, re- I love the ending of this movie. I love how cynical the ending is. No, like, I do too. Your only love is your craft. And you know, the the only room you have for a relationship with another person is someone who is also immersed in the craft. It's fun to learn to hate these people for me. Yeah. I guess that's what it comes down to. It'd be different if I felt like the movie was making like a greater point on life, but I don't know if that's entirely the purpose. You're just, I'm not sure at the end though, you're supposed to be like, Oh, and our two leads lived happily no, ever after. No, <laughs> no that's, but there definitely is some commentary there in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. But you, like, that's what I'm saying. You're not necessarily supposed to love that ending per se. You're not supposed to be happy entirely by the end. Sure. You're supposed to kind of be like, shit. Right. <laughs> well, fuck. These people are fucked. These people are fucking assholes. <laughs> and Gary Grant is fucked. <laughs> but I love that guy in this movie. Oh, he's, he's so entertaining. He's a ball. He's uh-huh. so good in this. And Rosalind Russell, again, kind of like the epitome of the Hawksian woman. Uh, this character, Hildy, exactly who you think of as like uh, his platonic ideal. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, she she's amazing. Both people are amazing in this movie. Um, and just yeah, perfectly executed comedy. I M O. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say. Yes, yes, yes. There's the scene. This was another improvised line of dialogue by Cary Grant. Oh, cool. At the end, where he goes, there's this guy waiting in the cab downstairs. He looks like that actor. What's his name? Ralph Bellamy. Yeah, he looks like Ralph Bellamy. And of course, the man is played by Ralph Bellamy. Oh, wow. Could be the first example in recorded history of the Ocean's 12 moment of characters in a movie acknowledging that there is a world that exists outside the movie Mm. with real movie stars. I see. Okay, okay. Who are also in like the fictional movie. Okay, okay. Wow. And I'm a sucker for that shit. I love thinking about that shit. That is the best part about Ocean's 12. Yes. It's also the most ridiculous part about Ocean's 12, but... Ocean's 12 rules. Okay. (laughs) That's all I got for His Girl Friday. Yeah, really good. Okay. Next up, 1946's The Big Sleep, starring Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, John Ridgely, and Martha Vickers. 
and a murderer's row. Just a fucking murderer's row in this yeah. writer's room. Mm-hmm. Lee Brackett, who did, uh, I think, Empire Strikes Back, worked with Hawks a lot, uh, just like a veteran Hollywood screenwriter. Jules Furthman, who also worked with Hawks quite a bit, I think wrote Rio Bravo as well. And the novelist William Faulkner. Oh, my God. Wrote this movie. Damn. And it shows. Yep. I, I would say that it shows. Private detective Philip Marlowe is hired by a wealthy family before the complex case is over. He's seen murder, blackmail, and what might be love. Mm-hmm. A favorite of yours, Adam. <laughs> nope. No? No. What? Not, not after rewatching it. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is the one where, okay, I, I don't get me No, this is a very good movie. Whoa. I thought it was my favorite before, but I had this weird experience with it because I had seen this um, uh, in college again and I just wanted to watch it. I think I was combing through IMDb's like, like top 500 or something like that. And I came to this and I realized I needed to watch more Humphrey Bogart movies. So I did like this and the Maltese Falcon and, uh, I rewatched the African queen and a few others. Um, Casablanca, Casablanca, of course, which I think Hawks co-wrote. Did he? Yeah. Uncredited. Fascinating. Great movie. Um, but so I knew I had seen this movie because I remembered the first act and the third act quite distinctly. I was utterly shocked by how much I forgot about it, though. Kind of hard to remember. I mean, no, no, no. Plot wise, you mean, or like what's actually happening? I mean, I guess both. I could like there was a bit of me that's like, have I seen this movie? Huh. I, I honestly it's ne- I've never had this strong sense of like forgettability in a movie. And I, and I say that a lot, like, Oh, that movie's so forgettable. But this is the first time where I just realized how strong that actually is. And that like, I was questioning whether or not I had seen the movie until it got to the third act. I was like, shit, I have seen this movie. What the fuck? (laughs) And yeah, it's really good on a scene by scene basis. I mean like really fucking good and juicy and the character work here. It's so, Oh, just spicy. And I love every single thing that they're doing here. And Humphrey Bogart is amazing in this movie. Uh, Lauren Bacall is just striking in every conceivable way. It's a really good movie, but fuck is it forgettable? And I don't know what that is. I think I know what it is. This plot makes no fucking sense. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it, I think that because the be. script is a labyrinth that is impossible to escape from. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. It's it's so complicated. I was worried I was the because I was like, yeah, I can't follow anything that's happening. But oh, th- certainly. So here's the story behind this. There are two cuts of this movie: the initial theatrical cut and the the sort of the recut. And the recut was done by the studio because the studio saw how well. Bogart and Bacall played with audiences and they wanted to increase the temperature of that relationship. Okay. They wanted more scenes of them together. So there's that scene of them talking about horse racing, that double entendre scene where they're like, uh, you know, I, I don't really play the horses, but okay. I want to know if they're a front runner or they're coming from behind and do they move fast to slow? And it's like the most hilariously Hollywood scene yep. of all time. But they did remove a lot of scenes of Bogart just explaining the crime and and like walking the audience through it and holding their hand. And the consensus is like the second cut is better because it's more like character driven, although the first cut makes a lot more sense. Okay, And I think that's interesting because this is a noir mystery and it's a very complicated one. But 
the mystery is like there are some movies where it's like, yeah, the mystery is not really the point. The mystery is not the point at all here. No, exactly. This none none of your enjoyment comes out of the mystery because it's almost impossible to follow. As I wrote on Letterboxd, the greatest mystery of this movie, the only mystery in this movie is why is everyone in L.A. a hot woman and why do they all want to fuck Humphrey Bogart? Well, that's why, the whole movie. Well, why wouldn't you want to fuck Humphrey? Bogart? I guess. <laughs> but that's what the movie's about is yeah. how fuckable Humphrey Bogart is. <laughs> Like there are scenes until it isn't though. That's the problem though. That's what I'm saying. There's a scene first. There's the scene with the, the bookstore clerk, it's, which comes out of nowhere. It's it, like, you think she's going to be like the, the female lead of the movie. And then she just goes away. The bookstore clerk is not the first one. It's the girl is like, Oh, you're cute. At least she like, like appears later in the movie though. Yes. Like at least like that involves yeah. the plot and the mystery. <laughs> the bookstore clerk is just this random aside where like there's a hot chick working at a bookstore and Bogart proves that he knows a lot about books and, he and then they fuck. He, yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the whole scene. And then she goes away. Yeah. Do they fuck in the bookstore? There's some crossfading, but you, you can that's imply the, what they, happens. They in lock, between. Yeah. They lock the doors. So <laughs> they close the bookstore. I think it's on a Saturday. Like it's pretty busy. It's shopping time. They just closed the store for a day and they just, they fucked during a stakeout. Why didn't Humphrey Bogart play James Bond? (laughs) It is nuts. Then it got even funnier. There's a random scene where a cab driver picks up Bogart. He like hails a cab and he gets in the back of the cab. I've never seen a woman cab driver, nevertheless, a hot woman cab driver. Woman ca- I don't remember this at all. <laughs> <laughs> the woman just, just, there's a hot woman driving the cab and she gives him his number or gives him her n- number at the end of the scene. She's like, call me. I don't remember this scene whatsoever. <laughs> call me. Like I work after hours. Oh. I drive during the day, but I'm available at night. It's already left my head. <laughs> Every person that inhabits this fictional Los Angeles is a hot woman. And they all just consistently flirt with Bogart for two hours. Yep. That That is essentially this movie. Yes. Is Bogart flirts with women and explains the plot to you because the plot makes no sense. But there are just, you know, incredibly long scenes of Bogart one step ahead of everyone else just explaining. Yes. Like, yeah, he she killed him and then like pretended to pass out and like. Then a chauffeur got killed. and But that explanation doesn't help, though. because you have It no, doesn't help. You have no understanding of the context of what he's talking about. It's That's, all telling and no showing, 100%. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, I just find this movie to be so confounding. But it's like, but I can't deny, like, it's really good. But, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. But, it is so fucking tasty. Yes. This movie yes. is just a giant steak. Yes. And, like, some of these lines of dialogue. Mm. You're not very tall, are you? Well, I tried to be. Yes. Come on, dude. So good. So good. How do you like your brandy in a glass? Yes. Bro! (laughs) His script, though. It's really good. Is he as cute as you are? Nobody is. Yep. (laughs) It's wonderful. Delicious. Yep. A full course meal, this movie. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Like... At no point is like, you know, most noir movies, you expect the hero to be as puzzled as the audience. That is supposed to be like the propulsive energy of a mystery is you are figuring along out the crime along with the main character, along with the main detective. But here, Bogart is just three steps ahead of everyone on screen and the audience. Mm -hmm. Like He just figures everything out in his head. And by the time he shares it with you, the, the scenes have already played out. So... 
there, there's no mystery to really uncover, nor do I quite remember what the mystery is. I couldn't like lay it out for you. It starts with like some guy being blackmailed. Right. And he's investigating the people who are blackmailing him and then rabbit hole. And sure. I, I don't know. And it's that. just a total rabbit hole. Yeah. There's this great story about the, 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 uh, the guy that wrote the big sleep, um, Chandler, something Chandler or another, uh, Lauren McCall tells this story. One day, Bogey came on the set and asked Howard, who pushed Taylor off the pier? Taylor is the chauffeur that gets pushed off the pier. Um, and Hawks didn't know. So he calls the author and was like, hey, uh, who like pushed the chauffeur into the water? And the guy was like, damn it. I don't know either. <laughs> and... Like they didn't know if it was a murder or a suicide, like who committed it, why it was committed. Oh my God. Like there's just so much of this in this movie. But this, again, murderer's row of screenwriters yep. is so disinterested in that. I know. What they care about is like Lauren Bacall scratching her leg mm-hmm. or like wanting to scratch her leg and the camera pushes in and Bogart gives her permission to scratch her leg. Mm-hmm. Like it's just those very little character moments that add so much texture and so much life to this movie. Yeah. Um, just the looks they give when she's singing and he's just watching with that cigarette. Yeah. This classic old Hollywood stuff. And it is shot with like these, this incredible sense of like shadow. It's Mm -hmm. a perfect noir movie in that way. Just visually. It's just funny how little I remember, like, like even like double indemnity. I remember I remember Chinatown. Sure. So even like lady from Shanghai or something. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, honestly. And I, you know, those, you know, third man, like those movies aren't like, you know, necessarily about, what they're about. They visually, I think stick with me just a little bit more. If I'm to come down on anything, like all three of those, even the Maltese Falcon has a little bit more of like a visual distinctness than this one. I would say just Mm -hmm. a little bit. Right. So, but yeah, it, it, it just works because it works and that's really (laughs) all there is to say about it. You know, (laughs) it's, it's kind of a boring conversation, but that's literally (laughs) what it is. It's like, I don't know why, like, cause on any other occasion, I would be just like reaming this movie out. I mean, honestly, I mean, that's, I, I come down on, on Christopher Nolan. I came down on him lately for a movie about things that go backwards. <laughs> so there's that. I um, need to watch Tenet again. God, no, you don't. I need to. Stop. You're I've gonna, heard. I have heard. You're going to start liking it. I might. So what? Does it scare you? It does scare me. <laughs> I heard I've, it gets better on rewatch. That's what I've heard. Okay, fine. That's what I've heard. Fine. Uh, yeah, but I don't know the style of this thing works. Bogart works. I love how like Hawks finds like Bogart sex appeal. Hilarious too. Like, you know, sort of going back to what we were saying about Cary Grant, like his ability to like find the weird talents and weird idiosyncrasies of his leads. He's not taking this movie too seriously. Right. He's able to harness the power. Yeah. There's a lot of comedy in this. Mm -hmm. Like when, uh, when, uh, uh, what's her face, uh, uh, Bacall answers the phone and it's like, are you the police? This is a police station. Mm. Oh no, you're the police. Like that stuff is again, like very screwball comedy, very Hawksian. Uh, he never takes it too seriously and he's able to harness the, the power of these movie stars. Although sometimes it does get a little silly. Again, sure. that horse racing scene is just hilariously stupid, I but know. yeah, I love it. Like if you love old Hollywood movies, like this is just the quintessential old Hollywood movie. It's just like you said, it's juicy as fuck. Yeah. What do you want? Yeah, that's a big sleep. Mm-hmm. Next. 
1948's Red River, starring John Wayne, Montgomery Clift in his big screen debut, Joanne Drew, and Walter fucking Brennan. More Walter, on him later. Walter Brennan. Ugh. How do you convince Howard Hawks to cast you as a guy named Groot and then a guy named Stumpy? How do, how do you do it? How are you that lucky to get like some actors get one role in a lifetime? How did he get Groot and Stumpy? And he's won three Oscars. Fucking icon, dude. Yeah. Fucking icon. Walter Brennan is my spirit animal. Stumpy, dude. God, I love that guy. <laughs> God, I fucking love that guy, man. Nominated for Best Original Screenplay and Best Film Editing is Red River. Dunson leads a cattle drive, the culmination of over 14 years of work to its destination in Missouri. But his tyrannical behavior along the way causes a mutiny led by his adopted son. You know how stupid I am? I'm watching this movie and it's like John Wayne in the lead. And John Wayne is always like a traditional leading man hero. And like he's doing some pretty shitty things. Like he's like killing Mexicans for land. No, he's the villain of the movie. He's a bad dude, but I'm sitting there because I'm a fucking idiot and it's John Wayne. And I'm just like, when I watch movies, like, you know, I'm, I'm easily fooled by casting decisions like this. And he continues to do bad things like kill people that, want to desert the, the the cattle drive and you know like uh you know shoot people to protect land that's not really his yep and i'm like yeah this guy's kind of a dick isn't he turns out that's what the movie's about and i didn't realize it until like 60 minutes in oh really? this, this is mutiny on the bounty but in stirrups it's like in the old west mm-hmm. but it's yeah yeah yeah, I didn't realize that he's the villain of the movie until like halfway through. Yeah, I've seen that out of John Wayne every once in a while. He's mm. he's not the villain in Sands of Iwo Jima, but he's like, you know, kind of an asshole, mm. an asshole that you grow to like, like you hate him at first and then you grow to appreciate him a bit more. But here he is more distinctly the bad guy, mm. you know, but not I guess not totally by the end as well. But, you know, for in essence, he is. Yeah, this was a funny experience for me. You know, not not to say that like that idea of him being a bad guy surprised me. It was just the first 20 minutes of this movie get going. Right. Mm. And it is old Hollywood fluff to a pretty gross degree. I would call it disgusting. Right. I was like, whoa, what the hell is this? Yeah. What the holy fucking shit is this? Am I am I really in for this for two hours? Mm. No, man. Uh uh-uh. uh. Fuck this movie. Hated the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And then Montgomery Cliff comes in Mm. and the movie. The time jump. Just becomes something else. Yeah. And it's my favorite movie on this list, man. Whoa. Yep. Damn, dude. Fuck. Yes. Wow. I love Red River. Oh my God. I love Red River. (laughs) I don't think my switch was ever flipped. Really? I Yeah. I, I like it. I think it's good. I no. I, here's what it is. I respect it. Oh, I respect it a lot. Um, I hate the ending with a burning passion. Oh, okay. I hate it so fucking much. I won't spoil it, but the ending is a, a departure from the original serialized story, the yeah. written serialized story, and it's very Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And they introduce this this female character played by Joanne Drew, who is just like so clearly like a deus ex machina and she just comes in to resolve this conflict and it's unsatisfying in Hollywood and that last shot like maybe you were charmed by it fucking pass dude like (laughs) pass so hard um and yeah we're gonna talk about Rio Bravo in a second two westerns directed by the same man just 
goes to show you how much of a chameleon Howard Hawks is yes. because they are as opposite uh, the two films as, as you can possibly find, mm-hmm. even though they are the same genre and they star the same two people. Yeah, pretty much. The same two people are in both movies. Completely different. One is like very interior and one is very exterior. Like one movie oh, yeah. takes place almost entirely indoors. And this one, Red River, takes place entirely outdoors. Yep. Um, it's sweeping. It's an epic. It spans a lot of time. A lot of action happens. There's a lot of fights with Indians. It, you know, there are multiple states crossed. Um Give me Rio Bravo over this one every day, though. And like, it's yeah. it's not fair because I watch them back to back with each other. Mm-hmm. And like one is just definitely more my speed than the other. Yeah, because I'm like not there. Okay. I, and we'll get to my feelings on Rio Bravo. But like this movie just vibed with me just a lot better. Okay. And a lot of that is just the people and, and, and just the way they're used in the dialogue. And I love that conflict because I don't even fully disagree with you. The woman character in this is probably the worst part and everything she's used for is not that great. Yes. Like I said, hate that 20 minutes. But like. Dude, the following, I don't know, like hour 40 is like one of the best movies I've ever seen good. Mm. It's just like that everything that film is used for. And I think the part of it is Montgomery Clift. He's good. Like burst onto the scene. Like, no, he's he's really good. Really good. He's really good. I want to I want to stress that. I'm like, like, what did you are you from the year t- t- 2021? Yeah. Who are you? Right, right, right. <laughs> what are you doing in this movie? It was another like Marlon Brando and Streetcar Named Desire moments. Sure. And that makes sense because Montgomery Clif- Clifter along with Brando and James Dean is one of the first method actors. Sure. It's like those three. And it made so much more another sense. Another passing of the baton moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's excellently realized here. Mm-hmm. And I just love that tension. And I love that odyssey. And it's just like something like... I don't know, man. It's a movie about a cattle drive, sure. which sounds horrible, but like, like going on a cattle drive with this is just feels awesome and satisfying. And I just love going on it with him. It makes me want to do something like that, yeah. which sounds insane. Sure. But, but like, this is an American film that I can get behind. Right. <laughs> and I'm not the biggest fan of movies that are like uber American, but right. something about that spirit here, just so much more tangible and, and like, I don't know, endearing than any other, any of these other movies for me personally. Yeah. And just like the stampede scene too. Good stuff. Holy shit. That's like, could you imagine trying to like, like make this work and not kill your entire crew? <laughs> this w- they were filming an actual stampede. <laughs> yeah. It's brutal. It's insane. And the, the most of the movie is that just the, the, the stress of losing cows. Mm. That's the experience. It's just an awesome epic man. And a good action movie. Yeah. It is playing a lot of very familiar notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just like in the, the score is very heavy handed. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of score, a lot of sweeping shots. I think that's a, a, a constant throughout Howard Hawks's movie. I would say, I would say the same thing about Rio Bravo though, honestly. Like so, um, less so not much. So I don't know. Yeah. I didn't notice it as much as I did in this one. I was re- I was kind of noticing it a lot for all of them. Not, and like, not Scarface. No, no. Scarface has like no score. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a lot of score, Again, the cinematography is very what you consider like traditional Western. It's more on the John Ford side of things than mm-hmm. it is the Leone side of things. Yeah, Whereas yeah. I think Rio Bravo is more on the Leone side of things. Kind of. Yes and no. Yeah. Sure. Yes yeah. and no. We'll talk about Rio Bravo. That's a yeah. different conversation. Yeah. Um, and it also, just like on a story level, is about, you know, son having to kill his father yeah. and father trying to outlive his son. And like, those are very familiar beats and I get it. And I know you, like you love like this old mythic stuff. It's yeah. And it's, that's the thing. It's like an inherently more compelling story for me personally than what Rio Bravo is. Uh-huh. Even though Rio Bravo is like 
Spoiler, it's like almost just as close. Okay. We'll get there, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was just like a little bored. I was a little bored. Sorry. I knew you would be bored. I'll admit this. it. I'm a little bored. I wasn't bored by any other movie on this list except for this one. This is the only one that actually bored me. Yeah, because this is one I had by far the most fun with. Wow. Yeah. Man, you or I are so different. Mm-hmm. Damn, dude. Yeah, it's so interesting. Damn. I just thought it was incredible. I just didn't, couldn't believe they were pulling half of this stuff off and still making it like compelling on a character level. Right. John Wayne is very good in this. He's surprisingly good in this, and I didn't expect that because I like John Wayne for what he is, but he's always playing John Wayne. Yeah. I actually think his character is a little more complicated in this than he is in Rio Bravo, honestly. Oh, he's given, yeah, he's given like a legit arc here. Yeah. Like, yeah, he has to play the good guy and bad guy, and but he's got to be convincing in both. But I just find him like, like again, also just very like, like pathetic and sad. It's not something that you, well, maybe not sad, but definitely pathetic. And you don't really get that out of a lot of John Wayne performances. Sure. I guess the closest he ever came was True Grit. Yeah. Just a total schlub in that. Right. Uh, but like, I, I don't Rio know. Rio Bravo similar. Sort of. Yeah. 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 Closer. I, I, I would agree. But still there's like a command there. There, I mean, there sort of has to be to play that character. And this movie is sort of about breaking down that command, which I really appreciated. And mm. it works. It, 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 it deeply works in my opinion. Yeah. John Ford said after seeing this movie for the first time, quote, I never knew that big son of a bitch could act. Yes, <laughs> he could. Because, you know, uh, Hawks has given him like these very like meaty roles and like, you know, that he can sink his teeth into. And there's like a lot of range required here. And that's why he continued to work with Hawks over and over again. But when Ford cast him, he cast him like very simplistic. Yes. Like just, you know, a man that holds the gun roles. Well, he used him as a tool and not much else. Right. Which is you look at the guy and like, can you blame him? <laughs> no, 100 percent. He's a force of nature. Yeah, exactly. He's not an actor. <laughs> yes, he's he's you know, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sure. 100 you know. percent. Um, but he, he definitely does show it here. Mm-hmm. AFI calls this the number five Western of all time. It was Howard Hawks' first Western. Isn't it one of John Wayne's favorite movies? Um, that he's done? I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, and uh, this was a cool connection for me. This was the movie that they played uh, as the last feature in Last Picture Show. And that scene where they oh. go to the movie for the last time. That's the movie that they're watching. They're like... Uh, Take them to Missouri, Matt. And they go, wow. yeehaw. And they show that at the end. Wow. Speaking of last picture show, Larry McMurtry died. Oh, really? Last week. Yeah, I meant to say that. Oh, damn. Shit. Fuck. I forgot to mention. Larry McMurtry. Yes. A great novelist. I read um, I read his novel, Lonesome Dove, which is like 900 pages. It is? That's how long it is? And it is about a cattle drive, much like this movie. Uh, and nothing happens, and it is like one of the best books I've ever read. Wow! I read it last year when we lost power for three days. Remember that? How fast did you read that book? Well, I didn't finish it all in the three days, but like <laughs> I had nothing else going on, okay. so I just I just Started pounded reading. through that. Thing. Cool, yeah, cool, cool. Um, but like on a movie level, Last Picture Show, uh, Brokeback Mountain, Terms of Endearment, legend, icon, one of the great American writers of all time. I see a lot of this movie influencing a lot of those works in a, in a weird yeah, way too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah interestingly enough. Yeah. But similar to Hawks, I think, and I would have loved to see Hawks adapt a Larry Big Birchery script. Mm. Neither of them are sentimental about like the American West. No. Like, they're not particularly romantic tellings of those stories. Like they're very matter of fact. 
um, very simplistic. We're just going to put the camera here and let these characters act. It's so different from John Ford. Right. It's so completely opposite in that way. And that's kind of what I appreciated about this. Because I was, again, when you start that first 20 minutes, you're like, fuck this movie. At least that's what I thought. I was like, I'm, I'm going to just despise this. Why did Nico choose Howard Hawks? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that shift was so satisfying. And it felt like it was entirely the point. It almost felt like uh, Howard Hawks was playing into it to that trite degree, hmm. only to kind of reverse it in this way. Subvert it in some ways, yes. yes. Not the ending, though. No, I, I don't even disagree, but that what comes before, I don't think the ending's horrible, but everything that comes before is just that good. It just, I just don't care. Mm. I just don't care. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Oh, it's so good. I like it. It's okay. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. Okay. Um, this one I like more though. Okay. And it's 1959's Rio Bravo. Yep. Starring John Wayne, Dean Martin. Ricky Nelson, Jesus Christ, Cass. Angie Dickinson, and Walter Brennan. Again, just fucking loaded. A small town sheriff in the American West enlists the help of a cripple, a drunk, and a young gunfighter in his efforts to hold in jail the brother of a local bad guy. When Quentin Tarantino coined the phrase hangout movie, this was the movie that he was describing. Did he? Wow, because I just called it a hangout movie just by watching it. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> in my review, I'm like, it's a Western hangout movie. This is great. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, when he coined the phrase hangout movie talking about this one. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and he called it the best hangout movie of all time. Uh, for many years, it was his favorite movie. It's still like in his top five. He talks about showing this movie to dates after like the first or second date to see if they were and if they cool enough to hang out and if with, they don't like it, if they don't like it, you're out. That was his, uh, that was his test. That was his reach over the door and unlock the passenger side test. Um, so yeah, Tarantino loves it. And, uh, there are plenty of other critics and filmmakers that love it as well. The British film critic, Robin Wood described it as such. If I were asked to choose a film that would justify the existence of Hollywood, I think it would be Rio Bravo. Um, one of Hawks's last great movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a last act movie in many ways. He was 62 when he made this thing after a four year break from the business. Many thought he was washed up. Um, and in that way, it's one of the great, like last act movies of all time. Um, the silent opening does not work for me. Full fucking stop. Do not like it. I think it's stiff, awkward. I like the idea. I don't love the execution. Uh, kind of throws you into the story, doesn't let you get your bearings straight, um, and it it just didn't work. And right away, I was put off. And then the rest of the movie, I just think is beyond reproach. Interesting. I just did not dislike anything about it since those first five <laughs> minutes. And uh, I I really really like it a lot. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're, oh, great. I, I'm glad we you're agree correct. on that. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, this is like the dopest dope I've ever smoked. Dopest <laughs> dope I've ever smoked. Uh, <laughs> It's just the chillest fucking movie ever, it's isn't so it? Chill. It's like this and the Big Lebowski, and that's it. And both have a character named Dude. Yep. And I noticed the same thing. They're both called Dude I noticed- out loud, and I laugh every time. Yep. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, dude, there's nothing better than uh, when they're singing in that in, in the jail, oh, right? Jesus, my rifle, my pony, and me. Yeah. How it doesn't get any better, Dino, baby. It's perfect. <laughs> 
And it's funny when you watch it and you just see the influence, especially John Carpenter. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like the, the, the scene where he's telling them to test their boots for mud is just the blood scene in the thing. Right. It's it, almost exactly that. Isn't the plot basically assault on precinct 13 yep, too? Yep. I was going to transition right into that. I mean, right. kind of, yes. I mean, the basic premise is like they're protecting a prisoner. Right. But like assault on precinct 13 is much more propulsive and aggressive and violent. Mm. Uh, but yeah, essentially that's, that's where he's getting a lot of those moves. Yeah. It, just like a great odor. You know what I mean? Yes. Like just like a old school, just run of the mill cowboy story but told in this incredibly heartfelt and compelling way. I know, right? You love these fucking characters. I love these characters so much. Mm-hmm. Chance, we talked about Stumpy. Walter Brennan yep. is amazing <laughs> in this. Oh, Walter Brennan is... I ain't gonna fix that door. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> when he shoots, do you know, in the not in the head, but in, in the, the hat. hat yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Dude, feathers. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I love feathers too. Another great Hoxian woman. She's so good in this. Feathers is like probably, yeah, my favorite of the ones that we saw. Yeah. Honestly, I just like, this is the thing. It's like n- not a lot of the people aside from dude are like flawed, but I don't really mind that in this scenario. I just like these people so much. And I just, all I want to see is Dino get better. You know, yes. he's really good in the movie. He is too. good in the movie. He's really, really Ricky good. Ricky Nelson's good in the movie too. Yeah, I agree. Everybody's great in this movie. It's yeah. just all the right people. Right. All the right people. Yeah. I, I don't have, I don't really have a lot of negative things to say about this movie, but I do agree. Yeah. The end, not the ending. The beginning is a little, uh, uh, yeah. Like you said kind of whatever it's stagey it's like really awkward and stagey yeah i I, i'll say this like for for a certain chunk of the movie it does drag its feet it Mm -hmm. takes a little bit to get going it takes a minute for you to figure out what kind of movie you're watching but once you settle into the vibe and the rhythm of the movie it's just endlessly satisfying so yeah definitely um john wayne again is playing like sort of a schlubby like washed up uh sheriff um and we'll actually talk about this in a little bit, but um, this was sort of made in direct response to High Noon, which has like a similar sort of plot, but the characters in it respond very differently. Have you seen High Noon? No. Okay, so I'll I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, but uh, yeah, he's competent, and he's still like John Wayne, and like you're still somewhat threatened by him, but he's also kind of on his last legs, and like he again has some range. His character has range. John Wayne has to, you know play a romantic lead mm-hmm. like a sort of like a hesitant romantic lead that's clearly been burned by love one too many times yeah. and all the scenes with him and feathers together that's just like classic howard hawk screwball shit mm-hmm. like he just takes out the old bag of tricks <laughs> in his 60s and it's like let's just play these same notes but in a different way in a different key um and that's what's happening here like the scene where he's with the 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 uh the hotel owner mm-hmm. um and he gets caught with feathers. Remember the hotel yep. owner gets caught with feathers yep, yep, yep. and he has to explain to his wife, you know why he was caught holding feathers. Uh, like that whole, like a misunderstanding that comedy of errors, classic screwball stuff, classic Howard Hawk stuff. All of the conversations that feathers and chance have together. So much chemistry, so much meat on that bone. Like it's just delicious. Um, I, I just love when, and you know Howard Hawks is unique because he has this incredible range and versatility. But I love when these these directors like take take flavors from one genre and play around yeah. with it in another genre. Um, what you have here is basically like the most romantic western and the most western rom com in yes, the history of movies. Like they they are both simultaneously. And at the mean in the meantime, yes, you have this great hangout movie. 
Um, it takes place mostly indoors. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, it's a very simple premise. There's not a lot of action sequences. Nope. Just a lot of talking. Uh, Howard Hawks is just cool. Chilling with these guys as they're singing in the jail. Yep. Uh, and that's my speed. Yep. That's it, my speed personally over something like red river. I don't like, I do love this movie. Like yeah. I really love it, but it, it has a little bit more range and, and sense of place or, uh, I don't know, a much more palpable sense of place than something like, uh, like his girl Friday does for me personally. Okay. But I don't know, like those human moments of them sitting around and just talking. Cause I mean, I, sometimes I get into that and I'm a little worried that the movie's not going to grab me, but the move, this movie's just so smart with a lot of that stuff. And, uh, I also just think it's, it's, it's clever with the scenes where it needs to be tense, mm. particularly when they abduct a dude and they put him in the clothes and yeah. you think it's another guy and you just, you're not quite sure where the scene's going to go and how it resolves itself actually furthers the characters yeah. it, for it, not John Wayne's. It's actually clever to further, uh, 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 Ricky, why am I Ricky Nelson? Ricky Nelson. Yeah. yeah Ricky Nelson and feathers. Mm. And I just think it's so, so, so clever with Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, these these I, characters actually go through legit change. I know. Yeah, I loved it. E- I, even though not really a lot happens on a plot level. Uh, no, I, I, it's not a plotty movie at all. I mean, that tends to happen when your movie's literally about watching a, a person. They're guarding a person throughout the entirety of sure. this movie, and you know, singing songs and getting into romances, and that's 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 it. There's no real plot to be had. Honestly. No, and it's a, well, it's a great plot also to just hang a lot of cool scenes around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why he like remade this movie twice. He did it with El Dorado, and he made it with uh, Rio Lobo, okay. which was his last movie. But essentially, they're like the same script. He All just right. did it three times over. Very interesting. But I guess good point point is like I got to know John Wayne in this better than maybe any other film he's done. Yeah. You know, in a much personal level where I'm okay hanging out with him where it's like, yeah, like the, the intimidation factor starts to kind of fall away the more you watch it, mm-hmm. which I didn't expect to happen. So, so here's the deal with high noons. Um, high noon was sort of a controversial movie at the time. The screenwriter was like a blacklisted Hollywood director or Hollywood screenwriter during the whole McCarthy thing. Um, and uh, Wayne, uh, John Wayne was not a big fan of High Noon. He called it un-American. Mm. Uh, he helped get the screenwriter actually blacklisted and run out of the country. Um, and Howard Hawks went on to on the record to criticize High Noon by saying, I don't think a good sheriff was going to was going to go running around town like a chicken with his head cut off asking for help uh, and finally let his Quaker wife uh and finally, his Quaker wife had to save him. So in other words, the plot of High Noon is that, you know, the, a town is invaded similar to this movie by like a bunch of goons. And uh, the main character decides to just ride off into the sunset rather, rather than defending his homestead. Um, and so I guess they were very bothered by this movie. So again, they rewrote it with like a sheriff that has more of a commitment to public duty. Uh, and he essentially allies himself with competent although flawed compatriots yeah. like stumpy and dude and colorado and carlos and you know all of them defeat the bad guys and they do it competently and like at no point are they portrayed as unheroic not f- not against that idea in high noon honestly sure. i haven't seen high noon i need to i need to watch it it's one of those american <laughs> classics i gotta watch that honestly doesn't sound like a bad idea i don't know yeah um but yeah, so this is just uh, this is an interesting sort of repudiation on that idea. But it's God, it's it's these characters rule. 
Yes, exactly. These characters fucking rule. And that's the entire movie. And I, I would just like to hang out with them all day long. Me too. That's Rio Bravo. It's great. It's great. It's my second favorite on the list. Okie dokie then. Um, I do not have an inclination one way or the other. Oh, really? Where to go with this. Okay. I don't. I have my favorites. <laughs> I like all of them. I like Red River significantly less than the rest. And I know that's weird because it's your favorite. Yeah. Um, but I'm not comfortable putting Red River in. Oh, really? For me personally. <laughs> for me, for me personally. Oh, I will compromise on some. And I know you will not compromise on bringing up baby, even though no. that is my favorite. Yeah. That's kind of funny that we're <laughs> literally diametrically opposed. Why does this happen? I'm tired of this always happening. So there's one of two things we can do. We can agree to put one of those two in, or we can cross both of them out. Which, what are we crossing off? Well, again, if bringing up babies, your least favorite and Red River is my least favorite, I think we got to cross both of them off. No. No. What's the best compromise here? There is no compromise. Do you want to know why there's no compromise? Oh, no. <laughs> why is there no compromise, Adam? Because I have two vetoes. Oh, no. And it's about time. <laughs> it's Red River. Sorry for the anticlimactic ending, people. <laughs> very disappointed in you. Nico's long idea. We've been saving this for two weeks. It ends in utter tragedy. <laughs> it's like an incredible movie, and you're disappointed. <laughs> I am. I am. Because, okay, all right, no, cool. No, it's fine. <laughs> no, you can vent if you'd like, if you'd like. This is a list of Nico movies, and you chose the only Adam movie, <laughs> which is fine. Maybe that's the only appropriate thing to do. I guess you're right. But whatever. We agreed on Rio Bravo, though. That's where we We did. I think that would have been a good it's choice. Amazing. yes. Well, let's go with that then. No. <laughs> I'm not going to let you sway me this I time. I would have chosen either... Bring in a baby or his girl Friday because they are like what we think of as Howard Hawks screwball comedies. I think mm -hmm. like that's what he's most known sure, for. Sure. And those I think came to define and also like are the most influential. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it would have been his girl Friday or Rio Bravo for me. I think Rio Bravo is probably his most iconic though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, certainly. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever. It's Red River then. That's there fine. Go. There you go. There you go. Congrats to you. <laughs> Happy for you. Don't feel bad. One veto burned, one to go. Yeah. Do I have any? No. Jesus Christ. No, you I don't win. have a single veto. You got to win one when we played the, the game. Oh, fuck. We got to play Cinephile again. I'm down to play some more Cinephile. Next week, we're going to do it. Okay. Yeah, next week, we're playing some Cinephile. <laughs> I'm going to get a veto back. <laughs> I am getting a veto. I am definitely going to get one of those. <laughs> I need to get me one of those vetoes, man. <laughs> got to see what all the kids are up to these days yeah. with their vetoes. Uh, congrats to you, Red River, uh, in the Movie Hall of Fame. Um, 
and that'll do it. I think I, I love Howard Hawks. I had, a, <laughs> yes, I, I had a lot of fun going through his filmography. Uh, you know, a lot of these movies were personal blind spots of mine. Me too. Um, and I think again, if you want to learn about old Hollywood and sort of the evolution from the silent era to what we now know as the American new wave and you know, what we now know of as the studio system, auteur system, whatever, um, like this is just a perfect sort of history book. Yes, to, I agree. to read through through the years. It's great history. It honestly is. You know, there aren't many directors like that. No, there aren't. So, all right, that'll do it. I'm happy. Next week, we're talking Kong, and we're talking Godzilla. Mm-hmm. The only two names that matter in America right now. Yes, you're going to be seeing this movie in theaters tonight. Yeah, man. I will be watching it from the comfort of my own home. That's tonight. nice. That's nice. I'm seeing it in IMAX. <laughs> I'm a little jealous. I invited you. There are seats. You can come with still. Mm. 6.30. Want to join Abby and I? Help out Abby. She might need your help. She's not going to get it from me. (laughs) I might come along. I might do it. Well, well, the slot's open. Okay. Let me think about it. Okay. Okay. Hit me up. I need to watch that other one, though. No, you don't. I need context. There, no, you don't. <laughs> I got to know why Godzilla and Kong are so mad at each other, Adam. It's the, they, they, that movie doesn't <laughs> provide the context. You got Kyle, Why are they so mad? Kyle Chandler is upset because his kid died by Godzilla, and Mil- Millie Bobby Brown is his daughter, and she likes Godzilla. Why are they fighting, though? Why are they Why fighting? are those monsters so mad? Because they're two alphas. There can only be one alpha. Why does everybody have to fight? That's all I'm asking. Why do we always have to fight? <laughs> You know what I'd love to do is a versus pod. The best versus movies. Because Jesus, there's not many good ones. <laughs> <laughs> With verses in the title? Yeah. I mean, they're all Godzilla movies, aren't they? Yeah, a lot of them are. But, you know, there's Freddy versus Jason. There's AVP. Right. There's Batman v Superman. Sure. There is Godzilla versus Kong. There's King Kong versus Godzilla, which is a different movie than Godzilla versus King Kong. Right. Um, Godzilla versus Gigan, Godzilla sure. versus Ghidorah, Godzilla Mothra versus Mothra. Right? Mo- no, it's not Godzilla versus Mothra. It's Mothra versus Godzilla from 1964. Get it right. Didn't we just do this a year ago? Now, well, we didn't talk about Moth- Mothra's a good. Now, that's actually a great Godzilla film. I should I should have included it, but it, <sighs> we would have had too many from the Showa era. In case you forgot, right? We had to get one from every era of the. That's right. That's right. That's right. The thing, yeah. Exactly. Um, I know you love your Godzilla films. Okay. Well, we're doing that next week. And by the way, I'm going to yeah watch all the movies that are required viewing for this. They're not like it's. <laughs> I, I watched Kong Skull Island. I will be watching King of the Monsters. So we will have a nice spirited conversation about the Warner Brothers Godzilla Monster franchise. Monster verse yeah. is what they're calling it. Yeah. So we're going to have a nice lively debate about that. I don't think we'll have much of a debate. Less of a debate than you think. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. That's, that's coming next week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I upset you today. You did. I know, but, uh, I'll figure out a way to forgive you. I always do. <laughs> no, you don't <laughs> <laughs> love you so much. Go to discord, join in on the conversation on our discord, find the link on too many thoughts, media.com or tmt.media for short. Yep. I have been on YouTube. He's there, guys. I'm there. I'm all in. I've d- 
dove headfirst into the YouTube game. He's infected it more more accurately. No one really wants you there, but you're there anyway. They don't, and they have yet to kick me off. That's right. Um, so I, three YouTube videos for your viewing consumption. Cultured is now a video podcast. Speaking of YouTube, I had this weird experience where I I discovered that I had I had commented on a video that I hadn't watched in four years. And then I got a sudden like on my comment and I went back and looked at it. And the, that comment now has 3,500 likes. What was the video? It was a, a clip of, um, um, Jesus, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's a scene where the great computer says the meaning of life is 42. Uh-huh. And in that part of the movie where she says the meaning of life is 42, it's 42 minutes into the movie. And I just said that like, Hey, guess what? It's 42 minutes in the movie. And then I got like, yeah, 3,500 likes just for that stupid. It's comment. the greatest thing you've ever done. I guess it is. Yeah. <laughs> People recognize my shit. Is that comment? Is that one comment? Yeah. You are li- You have been on hundreds of hours of, of audio podcasts about movies. Yes. You have given more thoughts on movies than most people will have in their entire life. Thank you. Except yet you're most like, admired them. work is a comment on, on a YouTube, YouTube video. And that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the internet's a frustrating place. Let me tell you, but uh, well, yeah, but please <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. No, I'm not begging, but I'm asking if you're into what Adam and I do, you're listen. you're two hours into this podcast. That <laughs> must mean that you dig our commentary. I would appreciate if you watched it. It's shorter. They're 10 minute video clips. First one was about the Grammy Award. Second one was about uh, the Snyder Cut and this idea of auteur theory. And uh, the last one that I just did a few days ago is about the decline of the movie theater model. Yes. Um, and whatever's happening with Disney Plus and Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so correct. so do watch those. I'm, I'm quite proud of them. I've been working hard on them. Yeah. If you don't listen to them, we'll send you Jabril Mahmood to beat you guys up. That's right. Our, our, he's our heavy. Our muscle. He's our he- he's our muscle. <laughs> that's that's a sad state of affairs. Yeah, if Jabril is. is our muscle. He's all we had. There there's only one applicant. <laughs> we had to hire somebody. <laughs> uh, all the links to that are on the website again. Too many thoughts media.com or tmt.media for short. Love you so much. Before you play me out, go ahead. Until next time. There are only two things more beautiful than a good gun: a switch watch or a woman from anywhere. Love that line. You ever had a Swiss watch? <laughs>